0: and welcome to the back page of video games podcast i'm samuel roberts i'm joined as ever by matthew castle hello matthew in this country we used to make podcasts and (laughs) now we are doing so again it has been one month plus since we last recorded together how are you and how has it been taking that time off to recover a little bit (laughs) Oh, it's it's been nice. Well, I I replaced
1: the the work of the podcast with just hellish day job work, so uh, it wasn't it wasn't much of a recovery, to be honest. But oh, it, no. it's uh, I I certainly couldn't have done both at the same time, so it was it was a necessity. Yeah, it's been good. I feel kind of slightly nervous, uh, apprehensive about podcasting again. It feels a little bit like returning to school after the summer holidays (laughs) where you haven't seen everyone and you're like, is everyone going to have changed? Have I changed? Do I reinvent myself? Is it just business as usual? Should I try and be cooler this year?
0: Um, you know, did Sam change in Japan? <laughs> I don't think I changed in Japan. I think I actually lost a tiny bit of weight out there because I was cycling a lot with my friend Lynch. He, uh, he, he cycles. Cycling. Yeah, I was shocked. I haven't cycled for like 15 plus years. <laughs> and... But he lives in Hiyoshi, which is actually where Final Fantasy was created. There's, um, he pointed to the building uh, where it was created and was like, yeah, they made it there because there's, there's a university there and there's a bunch of a bunch of students teamed up to basically make Square. And so, yeah, they created Final Fantasy and there's like a coffee shop um, where that building is. It's very unassuming. And uh, Koei Tecmo have an office there. But it's basically like a commuter town in Tokyo. So to get to the stations either like a 38 minute walk which is not that comfortable or you can just cycle there in about 12 minutes so we were doing that non-stop and i cycled around multiple parts of uh tokyo doing that so uh yeah i was I was oh, surprised was, yeah you go on holiday to gain weight not to lose weight but the, luckily the christmas break afterwards um has allowed me to uh probably gain like four inches on my waist um after right, just eating nice. quality street non-stop did, um yeah did so. the roads feel safe well in japan for cyclists yeah very safe yeah it's a very uh, i think it's very cycling conscious generally as a country like they've got massive massive like bike racks at the station and stuff and it's definitely baked into their culture more than it is here Mm. where like you'd never get that um Who's that bloke who was yelling at that cyclist? You know that one, uh, that video where that guy sort of like screaming at that cyclist and he chases after him and runs and falls over, and they captured it with that reverse camera on the bike. Do you remember that guy? Oh yeah, he's like yeah. a swearing brummy guy. There's no like Japanese equivalent of that guy, as far as I know. It's a very right. like it's a very different uh, sort of vibe. So whenever yeah. I
1: see roadside memorials in Bath for bikers that got smashed. I always think that would be me if I was on a bike. They just, those things serve as a constant reminder to me why I shouldn't ever be on a bike.
0: <laughs> right, okay. Well, I mean, I think like the mortality rate is probably lower than you're assuming it is. But yeah, I did a bit of that. I'd add to it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, straight, straight under I could- it. There's no point cycling around Bath anyway because most of it's a hill. Like, what's the point of going up and down that thing on a bike? You might as well walk it. So, uh, yeah, unless you're going to go along the river to Bristol, that might be a nice thing to do. But you had an e-bike as well, Matthew, which uh, basically means you do a tiny bit of bit of pedaling, then like an electric engine does the rest for you. So that's oh, the kind of I cycling. See. You'd I want see. I see how
1: do. it is. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you, you would whack that bad boy up to like very high settings, so it does most of the work for you. Then you're basically being sort of like chauffeured around by your bike. I think that would be a version of cycling you could get. On on board with so uh yeah um that's basically yeah so i went to japan that was quite fun and it is a bit strange coming back to this actually because i have spent a lot of the time since i got back fretting over this list honestly this game of the year so tell me about it yeah and it's stupid right because we are meant to just we could just do 10 off the top of our head games that we played this year i've definitely played more than 10 games this year i played something like 25 30 games this year i didn't finish them all but you know, I finished probably like, you know, a small percentage of that. But hmm. it's there was plenty to discuss and and yet I've fretted non stop just to make sure the list is just perfect, just enough variety, that sort of thing. Has that basically been what your sort of recent times have been like as well?
1: Yeah, I know I I we'll probably get to this when we get to the lists, but I I ended up with like a huge pool of games which I liked exactly equally you know (laughs) right and so it was kind of like every game i put on it just felt like i was shitting on another game of equal quality um and yeah i've had about five different versions of the bottom half of this list uh, ranging from just like fucking insane contrarian bullshit to (laughs) The most ploddingly obvious <laughs> list ever. I just don't want it to be the same as anyone else's list, even though that's mad.
0: Yeah, that's it. I would say that what's been interesting this year is that outlets have basically had to say that the same 10 games are the games of the year, because not because they're in cahoots or anything, but just because it's fairly self-evident what the important like, big games were from this year. So a lot of the best-of lists have end up being not identical but very very similar and mm. but that also means I, th- I think i've noticed that outlets have made more of an effort to do side lists alongside that like games you might have missed or best indie games lists or even personal picks lists to try and like give a give a wider view of of the year because it was such a big year it was worth doing that for that reason so that's been interesting to see how they've wrestled with it because i do get it It it's probably you know there is there are one or two games that i've seen at number one for basically every single list and there's not much variety therein so Mm. i've been trying to avoid that myself also matthew so uh yeah Mm -hmm. interesting stuff so anything else you want to ask me about japan before we get into uh, this episode matthew
1: Oh, and if, I, mean, there's a, I haven't seen you since you got back from Japan. There's like a million things I want to <laughs> ask you. Um, maybe in more of a pub environment. <laughs> um, okay, well, let, listen, for, you know, because it will be of interest to to people who listen to this podcast. Mm. Uh, what, was the, what was the most sensational
0: thing you ate in Japan? Oh, gosh. Uh, do you know what? Actually, I got taken to a, a ramen place that wasn't even on Google Maps it was just it's so dis- it's so discreet it just says ramen in the sign above the door but mm-hmm. there was a queue there this is in hiyoshi where my friend lives and there is there was a queue there apparently like every single evening it's open it kind of like it can sort of i don't think go around the block but it gets really long and they only have something like five tables in there so we went and queued up 45 minutes before the place opened and then i had the classic japanese ramen experience of just you you eat it you slurp like hell and then you're gonna get out it's a very like it's a very different sort of dining environment uh. to other dining environments and that that was probably the best ramen I've ever had so that was uh. that was up there that was just like a bowl of like pork belly and sort of like oh. creamy uh, creamy sort of broth and the fat stack of noodles it was that was probably up there but honestly, I mean relevant to this podcast certainly I became obsessed with as I I think many sort of tourists do the fried chicken they sell in convenience stores there Um, basically just it's like 220 yen and they give you a piece of fried chicken in a bag that you can sort of like rip and fold in half so your hands don't get greasy eat this like chicken this chunk of chicken that's got no bone in it and then like carry on with your day and I must have had about it's got no bone in it yeah you can you can like buy a drumstick version but it's, it's like it was like a chicken breast kind of but it oh. also had like a bit of skin in it as well and it was battered so it was incredibly oh. juicy incredibly tender and that was absolutely beautiful some of the best chicken i've ever had someone um, tipped me off early on that family mart is the one that does the best um of the supermarket chicken so i kept kind of <laughs> gravitating towards that that was excellent and i think like again a very touristy thing i became very obsessed with convenience stores because obviously i played the yakuza games so those Mm -hmm. games are great at capturing the sort of like what are these 45 different bottles that are on the shelf and what do they all do (laughs) and so i was frantically buying bottles of like vitamin c jelly and all this kind of like random stuff Mm. and just drinking like three three of those a day absolutely rammed with sugar uh, that was great. And then also having, like, um, I had, like, uh, one of the best egg sandwiches I've ever had from one of those convenience stores Whoa. as well. They're apparently quite famous for that. So, yeah, the on the food side, I, I ate extremely well. I don't think I had, like, I had like one slightly duff um, meal when I was left to fend for myself in um, Ueno Station uh, when uh, my friend was uh, working one day. So I just went in there and ordered this quite um, quite disappointing uh, sort of, like, uh, fried pork rice dish thing that was a bit overpriced but almost everything else i had out there was amazing just yeah just meat doused in sort of like dark sauces and all kinds of amazing (laughs) sauces. you had the dark sauces from restaurants (laughs) that weren't on the map Oh, very mysterious the worst thing I had actually was uh, I went to a like one of their um burger chains and it was really like much much worse than any of our burger chains. It was like oh, really? it was like one piece themed uh, not the not the entire oh. chain, but they were running some kind of one piece promotion, so they yeah, had that little pirate lad on the uh the front I'm afraid I don't know any <laughs> of the one piece uh, lore i probably uh, <laughs> I know there's a couple of people on our Discord who'd be screaming at me as I say the the pirate lad from One Piece, because that's probably describes every single character in that in Did that all manga. The staff
1: serve things with very stretchy arms. That's all I <laughs> One Piece. Rubber arms.
0: <laughs> no, it was just it was just a very extremely it was like having a very mediocre beef roll. I was really unimpressed <laughs> by that. Um, but everything else I had was just I had lots of karagi, just fried chicken all, yeah. all the time. I went to a sushi place that was in um uh, the Sky Tree, which is like the tallest building in Tokyo. I went up there and took some pictures from up there. And um, I-, I queued up there for, a f- I think, 45, 50 minutes just to get a, a seat. That was amazing, um, incredible sushi place as well. Uh, really good. I almost went to the Kirby Cafe in that same location, but you yeah, had to queue for. I think that's like 90 minutes to get into the Kirby cafe and it did look cool, but I'm not quite enough of a Kirby head to, to justify <laughs> that. Um, so yeah, that was uh that was that, but Amazing. yeah, I ate incredibly well. Um, it was good. Would you like some video game observations about a Tokyo? Well, I was going to, my follow my followup question was going to be, what what's the nerdiest thing you saw? The funny thing is, right. I, I sort of like, I, I'm um, actually, I, so video games, really don't do not feel anywhere near the forefront of culture there and like i think that's i kind of knew that i think going into it because you've read all these stories about you know all the best pre-owned games have been like stripped out of like a super potato or whatever um Mm. and like and also that the arcade scene had, had sort of died i remember reading a really good simon parkin piece at edge i think it was maybe a year or two ago about about where that was at and uh all of that is completely true it's sort of I went to Akihabara and I gotta say that it is kind of cool at first but I found it quite quite grueling as just this selection of shops that sell the same few anime statues over and over again and like I think if you kind of go in expecting to find loads and loads of cool obscure merchandise it's not really that sort of place you have to go right. really looking for it so I bought a, a, a couple of Metal Gear uh figures at Nakano Broadway um towards the end of my trip and I i just found those at the back of like one shop and that was the only really cool obscure stuff i ever saw everything else is kind of the same things over and over again right um and then the arcades are honestly just like ufo catchers just those machines and and then gacha machines and they maybe you get like one or two machines on the top floor of these arcades but it's like a even like when i went um when i went uh like 15 years ago when sega world was still open and stuff like that uh it was it's like it just, just doesn't really exist like games mm. and like if you go on the train and you're expecting people to just like be sat there on the switch or whatever that's not true either they're all playing um honkai star rail or however you pronounce that that game's name um i saw one girl with a switch and that was all i saw on the train like honestly like it's just not it's maybe so it maybe used to be something that it's not now maybe or maybe it never existed and this is all just like a foreigner's perspective of how people talk about um japan but um a a couple of people have told me if you do want to go and find some like more cool obscure merch you have to get a bit further out of the city so that might be true Mm. but it was interesting in that respect, actually. Like, I was at my most unhappy whenever I was, like, shopping there. I just found it completely gruelling and awful. And then whenever I engaged, it, like, even remotely with, like, more cultural stuff out there, I went to go look at something cool or things that are not related to video games. I had a, a more fulfilling yeah, like time. A chicken.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> whenever <laughs> I engaged with the
0: chicken situation,
1: <laughs> uh, my joy levels rose considerably.
0: <laughs> well, I've got a little bag of stuff for you from the Capcom store anyway. It's not amazing, Ooh. Matthew. They actually had sold out of all of the good ace attorney merch when i got there i thought if i came back with one of those like um those like nen nendroid whatever they're called they're those big head figures of like apollo justice i think you'd find that a little bit weak source. i think you you wouldn't be there going oh wow an apollo justice for my desk i just don't think that'd be the response
1: is that that a sort of funko-esque thing
0: yeah but like a classier japanese funko basically um they had that all Maya Fe, and again the energy of me giving you the Maya Fe one would be a bit strange (laughs) i think so uh um but i have got you something matthew so i'll give you that at some point but uh yeah, it was, it was really good. Those are probably like the the top-line notes that would be of interest to the listeners. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I,
1: listen, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of chances to interrogate you throughout the year about, about your Japan trip. Mm. Um, I want to know
0: about... Uh, you went to Nintendo Land, right? Uh, no, I didn't do that in the end. It oh, was, you didn't do that in the end? No, I was thinking about it, but it was too hard to get to, and I'd had such a... Awful time, at, um, Disney Sea uh, in in oh, Tokyo well, that I didn't. I want to hear going. about Disney Sea in a, We can do that in another episode. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe we can talk about that in the uh, XXL that we do next next time. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It was, but it was honestly completely fulfilling. I came back com- extremely knackered and quite ill, but now I'm now I'm totally recovered from it. It does feel like it was the best possible thing I could have done. Um, was taking that mm. trip. So it's been good, you know. Uh, so yeah. Okay then, shall we do the actual podcast up here for Matthew? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so 2023, the best games of that year. That's basically what this episode is then. So we have our classic preamble where we'll go over the year. It's ups and downs, some of our personal ups and downs in there, a little bit of industry commentary, I suppose, a bit of a mix of stuff. And then we'll have two top 10 lists counting down in the old chet and john's reassuringly finite uh, gaming playlist style and uh yeah. yes we'll we'll discuss our 10 favorite games from the year so matthew was 2023 a great year for games and how would you define the general shape of it
1: uh i think it was a great year for games i think it was the kind of payoff for you know this is the things which were delayed and All the kind of chaos of the last few years has just meant everything gathered here. Um, I think the thing I loved most about 2023 was that it seemed really consistent through the year. Like every month there was something interesting happening and that spacing meant that I just played a lot more games this year. I feel like I could stay on top of the situation. There were definitely months and times where like five things came out at once and there there are some holes in my top ten thinking because of that. Um but yeah, just this like really consistent, kind of coherent year of, of game releases, uh, which I found hugely enjoyable. What a spicy take, eh?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I think that I think it's sort of in some ways. I do think there's a this year is sort of a pile up of eight out of ten games. It's <laughs> right. But there are, you know, there are a, a few exceptions to that. But I think in general, when I was looking at the shape of my list, I was like, well, all of the blockbusters this year, I, I played. I, I think pretty much all of them, I I felt were eight out of tens in some capacity. um But I do agree that it's the the pile up element of all those games coming out at the same time that made it feel like a a, a big year, a great year. And I do agree some of that is delays. Uh, it was just, it, I think it was just out of control though. And I, I think one thing I did feel about the year was that indie games didn't really get a look in in the way that they might typically and i think that i've slightly changed my mind on that in the last month as i've seen people go to bat for more stuff i haven't heard of or a couple of games emerge a little bit reputationally but i do think that one consequence of the year is that people didn't have the same level of attention to pay to indie games And so those games were maybe blotted out more. And in that respect, I'm like, oh, did indie games maybe not have the best year? Either in the fact that like, you know, I'm not saying quantity necessarily, but just attention or how they are able to financially perform because they couldn't get attention. So that's my one sort of caveat to that in terms of the the quality of games. But let's face it, on this podcast, we very much enjoy the shiny blockbusters. And this year (laughs) definitely delivered those. And like you say, in massive quantities, there are plenty of games left from this year i have not played or finished um matthew i know you are so prolific that you have completed everything because that's what you do so um... (laughs) i really haven't (laughs) making this list
1: i was like oh man this this all these these things i haven't touched that i felt quite bad about Mm. um i it's interesting what you say about the the indie thing like i think there is a big discoverability issue at the moment and i don't know if that's down to the changing character of the internet and the kind of extreme kind of SEO warfare that everyone's been pulled into, where there's just very little room for anything which isn't like a guaranteed hit. And, you know, everyone's, you know, rather, you know, you, yes, you have all those, you know, AAA, AA, shiny, big publisher games, which are obviously going to draw attention. But even within them, you know, people swarm around certain things, you know, there's that month where all you read about is Starfield, and if you released anything else in that month, it wasn't getting talked about, just because sites and the people who, you know, would traditionally introduce you to games are so single-minded in their pursuit of, of those hits, because you have to be, because look at the state of things and how terrifying it all is for, for the industry and the media and everyone. Um And, you know, it's kind of hard to see, like, where, how that can ever change or how that might change going forwards. Like, this year, so much of my indie discoverability has been through, you know, a couple of people who, you know, really go after this stuff personally and and are very good, sort of, have good gaming taste, who I follow on Twitter, Uh, Edge Magazine. Uh, you know, I think they've done a really, really good job of surfacing lots of stuff which I just haven't seen written about anywhere else. And I, I think you raised this on maybe Twitter or Blue Sky or something. This, I, you know, this idea of like, you know, the games which have like twenty thousand positive reviews on Steam and like eight reviews on Metacritic, mm. and like how that situation came to be is kind of crazy. And the idea that actually there is a tier of superstar games just beyond you always um i've never felt that more than i felt that this year
0: yeah that was that was an interesting one because I, the game i'm talking about uh spoiler alert will that that game that matthew was alluding to there that does appear on my top 10 list so i'll oh, discuss okay. that but uh yeah i thought that it, it was interesting to see the sort of like games that did get attention in the indie space that i then th- that i then thought oh did these games really find like a massive audience so The couple of examples of this, like The Invincible, uh a sci-fi game, which looks really cool. I've not had time to um play it um like many games from this year. But that's one game where I think it it looked like they spent quite a lot of money on it, and it sort of like came and went in a very busy time period. And I don't just I'm not totally sure that that game found the audience, it might have got in a quieter time, um, where Mm. it didn't have as much competition. That also stands for the game um Thirsty Suitors, which got loads of coverage loads and loads of reviews but actually has fewer than 100 reviews on steam which would suggest it's it's been quite a niche concern but that's not to say that that makes it bad by any means i you know i hope it finds its audience but again i'm what i'm guess i'm saying is that the time period you know every every time period this year there pretty much wasn't a quiet time to release your game and find the audience that you wanted to find if you were anything less than a a, like a triple a um triple a publisher so I think in that respect it was a challenging year and yeah the the element the element of curations a uh, it's a it's a good one to raise because i do agree it's you, you do have to go searching a bit harder to find people who are talking about this stuff it's not it, yeah i've just i've heard people anecdotally tell me that it's really hard to get you know like press to cover indie games or whatever and you know like you say there's a there are financial reasons why these games aren't the ones that are going to make bank in terms of like traffic so it's mm-hmm. difficult, and then so they're dependent on content creators. But um, you know, respectfully, that's not where I'm going for my game recommendations. So I kind of need them from other avenues, and it's it really is tricky. So I feel mm-hmm. for people who are covering this stuff, but I do also think it's cool that some of these games can like break out and find audiences and become viral sensations in themselves. That game I was talking about, which again I will I will flag when we get to it. Is one that, like Matthew says, had nine reviews on Metacritic, which is about I think it's like a, a quarter of what I saw. Thirsty Suitors got. I was bored of the train when I was reading about this, but I was trying to like track the sort of relationship between press covering things and like how audiences like pick up things and talk about them. And yeah, like it's it's just so murky now where you're supposed to go for recommendations, what gets surfaced. It really is just like. Yeah, it's maybe never been more challenging as a consumer to read about this stuff and find this stuff so mm. yeah and uh, you know you and i are very engaged with games so um we're doing our best but uh yeah yeah
1: it's um, just yeah it's and, and, and like every individual person's sort of perception of what's big and what's small is it just seems <laughs> just all out of whack and uh, you know i've seen videos of like big youtube creators where they're kind of like you know my game of the year i'm gonna tell you about something you know a little a little game that i don't think any of you've heard of and it's called juicent and you're like that had like huge xbox game pass backing like that's a ma- that's a massive game you know like this and, and then yeah the thing of like the press review it but then no one reviews it or plays it on steam and then the reverse of that I, it's, it's kind of a just a really weird time <laughs> it's, a, it's a
0: mess really and yeah. so, you know, just it's interesting because I think that Jay's game cassette Beast, is one of the few indies that did break out uh this year. And I think he did pick like a very a very small window in which his game did was able to sort of take off. It was um, you know, aesthetically a game that was a perfect fit for the Switch as well and it was on Game Pass, so it had like definitely some some advantages, but it also just it was the idea that stood out as well it was a thing that jumped out because people were looking for something that was a bit pokemon like and therefore i think that captured press imagination and that's part of how mm. you get their attention too and yeah it's a funny one but yeah it's uh, yeah honestly that and that's the other thing like there's just so many games it's impossible to get your arms around this year in the way that last year we found it i think you and i found it fairly easy to get our arms around last year we were like Mm-mm. we both played a bunch of elden ring we both played a bunch of god of war ragnarok and then we played, like, eight indie games, and that was basically our year. And, that's, and, that, and, that, and that was fine. That was sustainable. And, you know, and then a couple of Nintendo games as well. So, yeah, a weird one. Um, here's a question for you, though, Matthew. Do you think this was the year that every console manufacturer brought something cool to the table? I, I'm not sure Xbox did. You don't think Starfield, Hi-Fi Rush, Forza is a pretty good combo?
1: Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I guess Starfield was big. I, it they just didn't register with me. I, maybe that's that's just due to you know what I'm having to do in my day job at the moment has kind of focused me a bit, and I just don't play my Xbox as much as others. I just I just feel with Xbox that you know the story is Game Pass, and Game Pass while like amazing value for money, it, there's something a little bit like shapeless about it. In, in my mind, Xbox is Game Pass, and Game Pass is you know serving up these games which are often multi-platform multi-format elsewhere you know trying to kind of own them in this way it it feels like a little bit like a a console experience sort of riding the coattails of like other other games a little bit but I mean but then you know I'm not a big Forza guy and I wasn't a big Starfield guy so maybe those factor into my thinking
0: that's fair enough I think I, I think I just sort of thought as someone who owns everything this year even like you know even owning an oculus quest 3 like sorry i'd such a burp there <laughs> Sorry, um... <clears throat> I think... <laughs> even as someone who you know owns a vr headset alongside the three consoles i just think there was like something i wanted to play on all of them like i did get into starfield hi-fi yeah. rush was a really cool surprise and uh forza not my sort of thing but you know I, I assume there is some some contingent of dads who like cars who think that's like the coolest thing in the world. I'm going to go ahead and assume that they exist. You got that. um spider-man um obviously on uh, playstation like a massive deal i can't remember what else happened on playstation this year i guess final fantasy 16 is exclusive so you have to count that too oh yeah of course if that's if that's your back yeah like that's you know as a as a sort of piece of hardware that's you know drew lots of acclaim a a real step forward for vr if you that for that tethered vr experience so you have that and let's face it another fucking great nintendo year you know nintendo just seems to bring it every year now you know
1: but, but you're right in that the, the great the great year narrative. It makes more sense the easier access you have to multiple machines. Mm. You know, I, I I don't know if there's if you only had one of any of these things. I'm not sure if one of these platforms had a particularly like, oh my God, it absolutely like killed and
0: you would only need that thing in your life to be happy. Maybe, mm. maybe in the Switch. That <laughs> That is a really perceptive way of looking at it actually. Like you do kind of need that broad cross section to get the most out of it. Like, And maybe... Maybe you and I are operating from a position of privilege in that respect, because not everyone does have all those machines, right? And yeah, I'm sure very few people do. But I certainly, you know, obviously games are my number one hobby, so I make sure I, I do have access to that. But yeah, I think that's um, I think that's true. And if you had the Switch, you'd miss out on like all of the shiny blockbusters happening elsewhere. So yeah, you'd have things to play all year, but you would be missing out on you know some circles and that Venn diagram, certainly. Yeah. So and then on, yeah. on
1: on PC, you had this narrative of like port shit in the bed you yeah. know it's that awkward period where th- you know things are kind of stepping up a little bit and you know people are you know, in terms of what people are doing graphically on consoles and isn't as neatly transferred it's not that your graphics card from six years ago can still want every game going you mm. know it's that always happens there's always this slight bit where you're like well you're going to leave something behind because of the console generations, and I think that's happening this year. Um,
0: is is what I glean from Digital Foundry headlines,
1: for us <laughs> I don't necessarily read.
0: Yeah, it's true that like a couple of, <laughs> well, no, you know, several bumpy PC ports definitely, you know, created that narrative. And certainly, as someone who, you know, I used to be on PC Gamer. Obviously, I used to have gaming PC was like the center of my world and now it's not really i do buy games on consoles because i'll chance it on a performance mode that might not work out you know that's something (laughs) (laughs) but that i'll almost go i'd rather go for that than spend another two thousand pounds and then still have games that might not be optimized and uh, you know like just the the jedi survivor stuff that happened this year that was just such a that became the story of that game those performance yeah. issues and and like yeah i just that just seems to continually happy happen with pc ports for whatever reason so i agree it's there's no one place you could go to get everything this year you definitely had to have multiple ways to in- interact with this stuff so yeah mm. um which types of games do you think popped off this year matthew and was it a weaker year for any particular area of games
1: uh i mean a good a- good year for rpgs a good year for open world games mm. um for for the for the obvious reasons um i i don't know i feel quite well served uh in terms of all my genre tastes i don't f- you know i f- i feel like there was you know there was a big there was a uh, if if you look at you know if you were to compile a list of everyone's game of the years and create a kind of soup of the top 30 games that appear on them most most genres are are accounted for you know you've got big racing games, fighting games, strategy games, shooting games yeah
0: i th- I don't know was there something that jumped out to you as a, as a as a weak spot no, to be honest like when I put this question to our plan, indie games were kind of what I was thinking of like oh, you okay. know, just it, but that was more the attention factor. I'm not saying yeah, that indie yeah. games are bad, but it's just that did they get a look in was kind of my question there, but no, I do agree, I think broadly. Those I think all those areas are pretty much covered, and yeah
1: yeah it feel, it feels like you read a lot of bad stuff around like destiny two say at the moment, mm. and that that Bungie may be struggling to kind of like work out what the next step is or to tr- transition out of destiny two or create the next wave of destiny two or whatever that is i I don't really follow the you know games as service they're not not really a thing I play. But, you know, I haven't seen... Yeah, uh, you know, if, if Fortnite kind of got a, a renewed burst from... It, it returned to the original island, right? It's... Yeah. But isn't, isn't that its thing? It's been around long enough that it's been able to, like, reboot itself, like, World of Warcraft classic style. Yeah.
0: Um, Plus, they've is... made, like, four new Fortnite games, and then that's Fortnite now as well. Like, there's a Lego right, Fortnite, so, yeah, for example. Yeah, so
1: all that. But, like, yeah, I know, maybe there's stuff happening in that space which you know has kind of you know has has escaped me maybe there's some bigger narrative boiling up there i don't know if you know what's going on with overwatch and apex legends and all this stuff if people are still playing these things but you
0: assume that they're ticking along right well that's the other thing though right is that i think that something we've seen in games in the last few years a big backlash towards the idea of new live service games that could be not live service games and people asking right why is naughty dog making well now they are no longer making the last of us as an on, online game right but right four years have passed since uh, the last of us uh, 2 uh, came out almost four years and there's no sign of a new naughty dog game so presumably a lot of time and energy and resources has been put into a live service something that no is no longer going to come out and that compounded with the fact that destiny 2 was pretty much always seen as the you know that's like the best case scenario for a live service game in some ways it feels like that dream has curdled a bit you know where mm. you know chasing that seems to be i'm not saying it's dying a death because you know there are more of these games coming along but it doesn't feel like there is room for them and the ones that are there are, are dominating and and soaking up the money so you know your apexes fifas and fortnight's they are the ones making the the dollar but i don't know now if every publisher wants to sort of like pour hundreds of millions into chasing the next one of these things it might just be that that is not going to go anywhere so that's i mean Mm. that's a bit of speculation i guess but i think destiny almost felt like that's the dream curdling a little bit is that the fact that they they had to they got rid of a bunch of stuff and yeah it was it just and they said that it's been you know, dropping dropping off the amount people are spending on it, and
1: I mean, yeah, if if will can't keep the dream alive, I don't know what can. <laughs>
0: that was certainly my favourite uh, uh, live service experience from this year, Matthew. Uh, so it's funny though because some of these questions I put in this plan I came up with a month ago, and I'm trying to remember what I was thinking when I asked them in here. So when I asked you about games, certain types of games popping off, I was like, what was I getting uh, getting at when I put in this plan? I can't remember. Um, so I guess uh, I guess Matthew should we talk a bit about the industry turmoil element from this year it seems like that's probably the, the the good the good point to discuss it so it has been a really rough year financially for the industry there's a couple of things here so there have been a massive amount of layoffs and at the same time there is a cost of living crisis and the two things are connected and another connecting factor is the fact that when the pandemic happened uh, in the industry um, ballooned in value and drew a lot of new money and investment and now as things have come back towards their you know what was would be a normal level when people are not trapped indoors all the time things are not necessarily working out for everyone it's affected a lot of people's livelihoods i am not immune to this as well you know mm. i i yeah i was uh, i was uh in consultation this year and took voluntary redundancy so and uh although i'm excited about what i'm doing next which is cool and so it was just a bit of if you read linkedin at all this year it was an absolute fucking bloodbath An incredibly depressing really tough reading people's just like people just investing obviously time and energy and sort of like ma- in making it in games and progressing in games and the industry has just been shrinking and it's really really horrible and it's it's infected the discourse of the year as it should and people have been talking mm. about it quite responsibly i think the press have done their best to spotlight this and you know i really credit them with that but i guess i don't know what else to say about it yeah, really. I mean,
1: like i mean that that summing up was just you know that's kind of what it is right and it may not be super obvious like it wasn't it wasn't super obvious to me and just as you know you, I feel, have a have a slightly better read on this, being being a bit more industry side these days, and you know you've seen it from the inside, and you know can kind of pinpoint that it that it is those things. You know, I think there's some there's some like other stuff around it with you know recently there you know there's been talks about some games sort of budgets have been revealed via various means, and you begin to realise just how crazy things are like ballooning this generation and the sort of step up that comes with a new generation and you know the demands of it and you know people can can read these things themselves but there was there was you know I think there was one where it was like this thing cost you know three times as much as that basically the same game last generation can anyone see the difference and you were like yikes I don't think that's just... Is that wasteful spending? I mean, it read more like this is just the necessity of the scene these days. This is just what it is to to make a game. And, you know, maybe people just have to, uh, like, recalibrate completely kind of what they they can expect. But then at the same time, you have something like, you know, Baldur's Gate 3, which is just this, this wild kind of homegrown success story that seems very pure and i'm not saying it's like oh this is the roadmap for all games but you know that there have been huge glorious
0: delightful success stories amongst this terrible year as well yeah i think it's i think like some of those leaks are good in the sense that it's important for people to understand just how much games cost to make and i genuinely don't think people really knew you know no um the best thing I've seen written about this or said about this is from uh, Hooded Horse Inc., who are basically like. Uh, they just published Against the Storm, uh, a, quite like a big sort of PC city builder game, and they have the, the game Mana Lords coming out next year, and they made a bunch of cool sort of like strategy game kind of stuff. So. Uh, their CFO and president, uh, Snow Rui said, uh, investors encouraged a lot of previously self-sufficient studios into expanding their team and budget too much to the point where budget outpaced market potential and the studios were no longer sustainable without investor support. When money became tight again, investors pulled their support and the studios had to downsize or even shut down. This damage could have been avoided with the more cautious approach people are starting to adopt now and i think that is the story of the year in some ways right. like it's there was a lot of like money um sort of like uh sort of like washing around but there is another dimension to this as well which is it, it is just more expensive to make this stuff than it used to be which i think is what you're leading to there matthew so yeah. i don't think i don't think the pain is over unfortunately i think it's, there's there's going to be more of this next year hopefully the industry yeah. sort of like comes out of it but yeah it, it these things do come and go in cycles but certainly yeah like it's it's affected a lot of people um
1: that's tough tough. that's tough that's that's
0: tough it is
1: tough i I, in a sincere way that's
0: tough (laughs) i I agree it is tough so uh um yes but it's definitely part of the narrative of the year so yeah and you know like it, it that's the other thing though there is a there is a correlation between the amount of money that's been invested in games and the amazing stuff we've had this year and the volume of stuff we've had this year right and i'm not saying this means that fewer great games will be made in future i don't think so and you know certainly like the pandemic was i say quote unquote only only uh, you know just under four years ago some of the stuff the decisions that were made in the pandemic we are we still haven't seen the results of the, the games that were greenlit that sort of stuff so it i'm sure there's like going to be a, a few busy years ahead and then maybe things all recalibrate to where they were maybe like five years ago where it's a little bit steadier um but mm. uh yeah it's certainly it's been a weird one so yes um I suppose on a, on a on a different note, Matthew, how was your your year on a personal level? Um, how was your 2023? Was it all right?
1: Yeah, it was good. It was busy. Uh, I, uh, you know, obviously in 2021, I was basically freelance for the year after after redundancy in 2020, and then I uh, st- basically started work at a creative agency working on kind of contract work, this isn't very exciting I'm afraid, um, <laughs> my, my, you know, my day job and yeah that stepped up again this year, pulled me back into kind of YouTube, it, it, like the, the day-to-day business of YouTube, you know I, I was making videos which were then getting put up elsewhere but now I'm back involved with like channel management and things like that and um, so that's you know it's like having kind of got out of it on rps it's like being back in that like horrible mud fight again Mm. Uh, because that's what youtube is and even in like the three years that i was away like the behavior of it's changed again and all the things and tricks and knowledge i'd kind of built up during xbox and rps you know it's it, it feels like not back to square one again but you're kind of like okay well these these little tricks don't work anymore so yeah i'm still kind of figuring that out so definitely a more intense work year. Mm. um probably beneficial to the podcast though just because i'm like closer to games again and having to be involved with that so oh, yeah you've been so you on know. it this year you've been like <laughs> yeah. you've played
0: you're always like yeah you you kind of give me the lowdown on stuff you've been playing before embargoes left and i'm like oh man he's he's properly tapped <laughs> in here so yeah yeah, of course, if any PRs are listening, I never do that.
1: Um, <laughs> I adhere to all embargoes. <laughs> it's, um, all in, it's all in the DMs it's on the friendly. Very, video. very important for everyone <laughs> to know that. Um, no, but it was more like when I found myself back at Gamescom, basically doing the journalist beat again. Mm. And I was like, I kind of had no intention of ever doing this again. Not like I'm too old for this shit, you know, I'm not that old, but I'm older than I want. you know, I'm not like a 25 year old legging it around that place with like wide eyed enthusiasm. You know, it's more like, oh shit, I've got to carry all this heavy stuff and it's really hot and I might actually die.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then you got photographed eating big sausages, which people sent to me immediately just to let me know (laughs) that you'd been eating big sausages. That was important, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I went out. I can't remember if I talked about this. I went out, so I left the center to go and interview someone at a hotel, and then I lost my pass. It fell off my lanyard, and so I couldn't get back into Gamescom, and I had to jump through all these hoops. And at this point, it was just like the masses were trying to get in as well. So, trying to solve a kind of missing pass problem while also trying to get through. You know all these sort of German teens dressed up as Final Fantasy fourteen avatars, I mean, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh god, like I may have a heart attack in front of these people and like ruin their love of this hobby forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, it's weird. It was slightly, it was slightly hellish Gamescom this year, and I can't quite explain why. It was sort of, it was nice to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while, and also to realise just how long it had been since i would seen a lot of those people that just a real kind of passage of time element kicks in where you're like oh wow it's been the pe- people look noticeably older than when i last saw them because it's been like yeah. six years in some cases yeah or whatever. so i yeah i don't think a lot of
1: prs realize that the one free drink they gave me on their stand was the one free drink that kept me alive during those three <laughs> days like how close i was to genuine death
0: uh <laughs> You should have flagged to me like whenever you were nearby the, um, where I was, and I would have just ran out and given you a bottle of water have, to keep going.
1: I, I should have developed uh, a knock on the outside of your booth near where you were standing, where if you hear this particular rhythm, you just chuck a bottle of water over the wall
0: and I catch it. Oh, I love that. It's very video gamey, is it? I could see yeah. that, so yeah, I like that. The only problem is there are glass bottles, Matthew, so I would have uh, done well, some real I'd damage. Well, i will be good at catching. <laughs> Trust me, if,
1: if it's between life and death... Uh, my uh, you know, coordination improves massively. And if it did smash, I'd just I'd get down on my knees and I'd suck it out the carpet.
0: <laughs> Good times. So yes, um, <laughs> bit of a yeah. That that was a that was a it was fun to kind of get out there amongst the industry. It, like, really felt like the industry was back in full force at Gamescom. But there was like this, I don't know, maybe it's just in my head, but a bit of a dark cloud because of all the layoffs and you know stuff mm. uh, the, the the bits and pieces happening uh but that might have just been as well because i drank beer like five nights in a row or something just to keep going so uh yeah <laughs> it could be a bit of both but uh yeah but yeah. yeah
1: although it's 2023 great i became one <laughs> of the um One of the the, the biggest reviewers of (laughs) Bath Supermarkets on Google Reviews.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's important. Both the Sainsbury's have been reviewed now by Matthew Castle.
1: Tens of thousands of people have read my reviews, it tells me.
0: That's amazing. That's like
1: a bigger audience than I got on Endgamer in- have read those reviews of supermarkets.
0: <laughs> it's bigger than the yeah the listenership of this podcast, so that's, oh, uh, for yeah, sure. that's upsetting. Um, but also, <laughs> I'm very happy for you, so well done. I assume you'll be launching a Patreon for your uh, supermarket reviews any day now, Matthew, if people want to support that. Yeah. The um, problem is, once you've started reviewing...
1: Uh, Google Maps. If it detects that you're near any shop for any amount of time, it's like, do you want to review this shop? And I'm like, no, Google reviews. I was just walking past that shop. I didn't actually go in Ryman's, the stationers. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't. And even if I did, I don't necessarily have a take on it. You know, sometimes I just want some staples.
0: You know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, like that's what a lot of these platforms do now. LinkedIn's like, you've been selected as one of the experts to answer this question. I'm like, oh, that's very nice. Uh, you're going to get your hand in your pocket and pay me for this free content. That's how I feel about it. I'm like, <laughs> oh I yeah. I don't work for free, LinkedIn. Like that's sorry. Yes. They,
1: they ask they ask you really inane questions as well because they'll be like, do you want do you want to help people by answering a question about milk buns, say? <laughs> And then it'll be, does milk bun sell burgers? And I'll be like, yes, does milk bun sell cheeseburgers? And I'll be like, yeah. And you you just end up going through the menu, the whole thing, one by one. And sometimes you don't know. It's... It's a curse, really. I I really regret my Google review adventure.
0: It's sort of like I I feel like I have these little little pocket obsessions too, and all they're doing is getting me further away from completing the novel. Do you know what I mean? That's like <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's happening. I feel like that's what's happening to you here, Matthew. You're in a little trap, um, trying to get out of it. So uh, I wish you well in twenty twenty four as you sort yourself out on that on that front. Um, yeah, but yeah. How yeah. was your How was your year
1: on a personal level? Gosh,
0: it was. You know what, while it was happening, it didn't seem that bad. And then I sort of like audited (laughs) it, this, as I like took my month-long break, which I was incredibly privileged to have. I've not been, I've not had more than two weeks off since I was a teenager. So it was really nice to be able to just have a month and think about it. And like, gosh, how much do I tell the listeners? So, So someone very close in my family nearly died at the start of the year. Then someone in my family died at the end of the year. And that was not great. And obviously, like I say, consultation, that was that was quite tough. But to be honest, you, that wasn't too bad because I kind of had a feeling I'd be able to go and do something. So that's, that's all right. I feel very fortunate in that respect that I, you know, had some confidence I would find something. Or maybe that was just a bit of, like, unearned confidence. But... In any case, so uh, those things happened. And I suppose, like, on paper, that seems bad. But weirdly, yeah, when it was happening, it didn't seem that bad. And, like, I'm actually kind of amazed at the amount of progress both of us may have have made, like, in our lives since we started this podcast. If you think about how, you know, it's just over three years old now, the back page. We started it in November 2020. And at that time, you were, you know, fresh off of, like, le- you know, leaving RPS and Read Pop, And I was on tech radar... And if you think about how much has changed since then, it's actually quite substantial, isn't it? And like, Mm. I just, yeah, I had no real notion of what the next few years would sort of hold. So yeah, I don't know. I feel oddly oddly optimistic going into next year. I can't quite explain why. I just sort of like, I I think maybe a bit of its age as well. You just start to take things less personally. You start to reckon with things in maybe a slightly healthier way. I I don't really know what it is, but I'm just... uh,
1: Oh, uh, I don't. I had uh, some... I've got some <laughs> vengeance in me now because of social media has been rotten, particularly rotten the last couple of months. I mm. yeah. uh, saw. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got, yeah. I know what you're. Alle-
0: t- I know what you're alluding
1: allean- <laughs> to. And that was I'm, I'm taking I'm taking a, a spirit, my yeah, spirit of vengeance into 2024 and praying for the sake of certain motherfuckers that uh, we don't encounter them uh, <laughs> in the flesh because, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah boy, people have been rude on that place
0: <laughs> yeah that was that was the, that was the other weird thing that happened this year actually was a social media was particularly shit this year like it's it's obviously like x is a bad platform because of its like its owner for, for obvious reasons but also there's the newer platforms which are sort of awful in their own way like blue sky is sort of like it's sort of like all the people i'd muted on from games twitter are sort of on there doing their thing and i have to remute them there's a bit of that going on and it's sort of like there's a, that's where you see a lot of people who have the same opinions as me repeating them back at me and i just and i realise how much i hate myself and my own opinions reading them and i'm like i just don't, i don't want to engage with any of that threads is like someone came up, someone combined facebook and twitter and that has the worst parts of both that's not good and yeah twitter is just like I thought, yeah, some of the stuff I know you're alluding to, the most bad faith, like oh. rotten takes. And truthfully, if that happened to me this year, I would have more vengeance in my heart. I'm sure something like that will happen to me <laughs> next year and I'll be similarly enraged. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. Um, the, the, I don't know if you've noticed this on Twitter. People basically posting pornography
0: as adverts. <laughs> yeah, I've am seeing. Yeah, seen that quite a lot. That and Bitcoin and like, stuff.
1: How is this allowed? How it like what is going on on this this fucking i just got to get off that thing
0: <laughs> yeah i've had a bit of that this year i'm like maybe too much mental energy is going into this i'm i'm punting out jokes and then it's like do you want to have this like newly minted fucking gorilla picture or whatever and you're like this is why <laughs> how did it get this bad
1: i mean it's actually like it's like it's like you know when you walk around in Night City in Cyberpunk, yeah, and you're like, oh, this is so crass. This is such a broad, lazy satire. Like <laughs> this is just there's just no truth in this at all. And then you go on Twitter and you're like some of the stuff which has been allowed to be presented as an advert to me i'm (laughs) like oh no no that's right this is you've built night city here in your little corner of the internet and paid however many billions for the privilege i mean what a fucking bin it's got to be a scam like bots buying adverts that's just money laundering right (laughs) yeah i mean what else is that that's just money going into your own pocket it's
0: oh what a a scam! it's the same on facebook like uh, my friend dave scarborough sent me like something he was served it was something about most like uh, it was like something about scenes in superhero films and it was like a four images in there and one of the pictures was of like what looked like an ai generated picture of batman having sex with wonder woman and i was on like (laughs) in like a street and i was like (laughs) Who the fuck... And, like, tens of thousands of people interaction just with it. on
1: the street.
0: And I was like, what the fuck is... Like, is it just, like, adverts aimed at bots, paid for by bots? Like, what the fuck is going on? But you are right. It just seems to get terminally... It's just turning into a hellscape. If Reddit goes away, the internet is basically doomed. Because I started to use the Reddit, Reddit as if it is the internet. Um, I don't know if you do that. But now I search for things on Reddit, like I'm using Google, because... I just want some people to tell me what the the thing is like. So, yeah, right. <laughs> it's 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 tough out there, man. But, yeah, social media. So I don't want to make it sound like I think things are rosy. I definitely don't. But, um, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to be serene after having a month off. But, uh, yeah, rough out there for sure. Okay, so before we get to our top ten list, Matthew, is there anything you wish you'd got to that you didn't have time for on the games front? Anything you want to talk about here that like won't be in your list or, you know, just... In general, you wish you had a bit more time for X, Y, and Z. No, uh, not
1: not not really. Like you know, aside from there were some like indie big hitters that enough people I respect liked that I didn't try. You know, I I, I met up with uh, my old staff writer Tom Stone, who was singing the praises of um, Thirsty Suitors, and I, I didn't get around to playing that, even though it sounded you know super funny and interesting from um, from what he was saying. Yeah, I I tried. I, I... There was a there was a sort of breakout indie hit, Void Stranger. Did you hear about this at all?
0: Yeah, it's come up a few times, but I don't know much about it.
1: Yeah, so the whole thing with it is, it's there's a lot of hidden cleverness in it, and it's 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 like one of those, a bit like I guess like Inscription, where you know what it is, it isn't really that, and there's a lot more to it, and you're you know the but like i think there's so many layers to what it is that the more you play it you end up playing it for like 100 hours and have like this mind blowing experience but it's also one of these games that no one ever explicitly says what the thing is cuz to know is the spoiler but um what it is on the surface is one of those sokoban kind of tile based puzzlers which I find very dry and very hard work. So I can't actually punch through to the exciting layer of that game. I have tried. I've been playing on the Steam Deck. And it's like, if I had had another month of not doing anything, I'm sure I would chip away at this thing and get to this apparently life-changing bit of weirdness within that everyone seems to rate so highly. But... I, I just I just can't I just do not like. I mean, it's not crate pushing. It's it's like you you kind of you kind of magic away tiles and then magic them into a different space and this kind of monochrome kind of Game Boy looking kind of top down labyrinth. Um, but I find that I just find that puzzle so dry that it, it that that feels like it should come with a warning of like if you're not into this, it's just going to be quite hard work to
0: get the payoff yeah that's interesting <laughs> i love that's the one that you kind of like pick out there but um yeah I'm well, sure i tried.
1: I I started playing it on when i when i went um for my little holiday to the forest
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> the hot tub
1: i thought oh I'll, I'll play that there and i i played like i don't know six seven hours of it and was like well i haven't really seen anything too out there yet just a lot of Boring floors of this tower <laughs> with these boring puzzles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had to bin it off, but I, you know, I'm sure it's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. A, yeah. You wish it well. I, was, I do wish it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Thirsty Suits is a good one. Like, it's, you know, I'm, I, it's perspective I'm interested in, and it does look like it, the presentation looks exceptional. And yeah, like I say, like I mentioned earlier, it's sort of like, Releasing in November is very challenging for a game like that in in this particular year, so that's tricky. Um, another Annapurna game from this year, Storyteller. I kind of wanted to give that a go, like a kind of puzzle oh, yeah. game about story. It looked a bit quite simple, but quite nice. Quite wanted to give that was, a I go. Yeah, i played
1: a bit of that. It was fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, that looked cool. And um, there was um, Turbo Overkill, uh, one of the boomer shooters that came out this year from Apogee. Uh, quite fancy giving that a go. I've not played a little game called Boulder Skate Three, so that's not on my list. Um, that was the one, that, the big sacrifice. I just wasn't going to try and force four hours in of it just to talk about it on this podcast. It didn't seem worth it because I no, no, suspected you would talk about it. And there are other RPGs I, I did, I did pursue this year instead. I will definitely come back to it at some point. Alan Wake Two, which I talked about in the what we've been playing. I've not played since then. So I did about three or four hours, and I've got many more um, still to play of that one. So that's kind of missed out on my list there's a few other games that I'm going to save for rumble mentions where I didn't get quite get enough time to put my arms around them completely but I don't want to blow them all here but they, I suppose those are the major ones Matthew so I, get, mm. I oh, I didn't play um, Street Fighter 6 even though our good friend uh, Ian sent us a code maybe he will blacklist us now Matthew because we just I, didn't I, play I
1: did. I did install it and play a little bit of it and I'm so bad at it I had like nothing interesting to say about that <laughs> game that wouldn't just really annoy anyone who likes Street Fighter VI. <laughs> 6 not in that I think it's bad in any way I mean it's Like, people I respect tell me it is, like, next-level genius. Mm. So, you know, kudos to it. But um, I'm still yet to find a a, a fighting game which teaches itself to me
0: in isolation. Um, Maybe that is just too big an ask. Yeah, yeah. So there was that, and then there was uh, a Diablo 4 this year as well. I didn't have time for that one. Um, I I don't know if that would be my sort of thing, but I certainly bought it at some point, so I should probably... uh probably give that a go um yeah i think those were the main ones though like everything else i try to at least like touch upon i tried to give every i was quite surprised actually to see lies of p on so many game of the year lists like i thought Mm -hmm. that was i thought that was considered a bit of a lesser sort of like souls like but evidently not people seem to really dig the the theme of that and how it looks and all that stuff i guess
1: they it was
0: the sort of souls like for this year yeah that's true and obviously like uh along those lines armored core six i did not play this year i know you oh. did matthew but i, I suspect it's not going to be on your list mentions. <laughs> oh, do i wish mentions. it well <laughs> do
1: you know i wish it well i don't even know if i wish it well
0: <laughs> okay good and uh yes um so those are the those i guess that pretty much covers the uh the stuff we haven't got to but there'll be some more stuff in the honorable mentions i'm sure so matthew very last thing before we get to our list then so can you remember as a test what you called the best games of 2020 2021 and 2022 on this podcast because i struggled a little bit with this but i was curious (laughs) if you had the the memory power for it
1: so 2020 i think was desperados 3
0: yep that's correct very good
1: 2021 that's it's Probably got to be, like, Hit- Hitman 3. That Was that the year the Outer Worlds DLC came out? I remember rating that quite highly.
0: No, so uh, you've got... Um, <laughs> this is interesting. you got got... Is it something
1: really contrarian and bullshit? It's not no. Principle, No, it? no,
0: it's Metroid Dread. <laughs> Which is Oh, of course. Which was the best game of that year. So you had Outer Worlds D L C you had at number two and Psychonauts oh, number okay. three. So uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um yeah. So um, that's good.
1: And last year, uh last year I think
0: was Xenoblade. I think that is correct. Let me just double check that. Da-da. So Xenoblade has been mentioned twenty eight times in this document. what a
1: cursed home.
0: <laughs> should have written all these down, that's my fault. Uh. what's that big book that they used to try and record
1: like the state of the nation in in medieval times <laughs> like everyone who was you the book keep of grudges book kind of, of like, thing yeah but they had this like book which like everyone who was alive was recorded in this big book because <laughs> there were so few people you could feasibly do it in a big
0: book yeah yeah it, you had um yeah you had Zelda Blade chronicles 3 at number one last yeah. year And then you had Signalis at number two. Remember that game? Oh, uh, Signalis. I love Signalis. I don't think I've said
1: the word Signalis since that podcast.
0: Yeah, well, that's it. Well, that's because a fucking unending avalanche of blockbusters came out. So you had no reason to ever discuss it again. Uh, Yeah, uh, well done. That was, uh, yeah, it was good. There you go. Well, that was pretty successful. That's pretty good. Um, I would test yours, but I do not have them to hand. No, that's fine. I remember, so I can test myself a little bit here. I remember last year's, it was uh, Tunic, I remember. That was, um, because I thought about that quite a lot and I was... That was like I settled on that. It was like it was it was that or cult of the lamb. It was kinda of like between those really. But mm. um and I had Seafood, number three. I remember the first year we did this podcast, I picked Apex Legends because I couldn't not pick it because it was my pandemic game. So yeah. that was that yeah, nothing but Destiny at um number two for that year, which is actually oh, quite a on. depressing list when you think about it. So uh <laughs> <laughs> that's on me really. And uh but you know, that was uh oh no, it was Destiny two I had it um for twenty twenty. So that was um that was okay. my uh, my fault um, to not remember that. So, yeah, and then for 2021, I have no idea what I picked for that year. I have no memory of it whatsoever. So, again... Uh, thank you to Graham S for um, for capturing all of this. My number one was Hitman Three, so I, oh, um, there we go. Yeah, I picked that, and I had Age of Empires Four at number two, and Deathloop at number three. That's a pretty solid. That's top quite
1: three. a weird top three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: It was a bit of an odd Yeah, I was like still struggling to get through enough games. I think, um, but but each year we've done this, I think I've gotten slightly better at it. So um, yeah, uh-huh. hopefully this top ten will be the best top ten that I've done. And yeah, I feel like you always bring um, you always bring a good uh, a, 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 a sort of like a good a good F a, a strong F to the uh, the end of year list Matthew so shall we take a quick break and come back with our top tens, let's do it Welcome back to the podcast. So, me and Matthew are struggling to remember how to actually do this, as you might have noticed a bit in that first section, as we've wandered between subjects there, but uh, we'll get there eventually. So, our top tens in this section. Matthew, before we get to the top tens, was there a game you found particularly disappointing from this year? Something you played and were like, I ask this every year, I think I had alien fireteam elite one year i remember thinking oh i'm really (laughs) up for a game we just shoot loads and loads of aliens and then it just did nothing for me whatsoever but um yeah yeah, this year what do you got um persona 5 tactica
1: was was a bit of a nothing for me Mm -hmm. um i found it to be a hugely unstylish add-on to one of the most stylish things going maybe the persona 5 party is just over now and that's fine if it is um the big one for me, though, was uh, Rain Code, the game from Mr. Danganronpa, mm. which, you know, the next, you know, I was anticipating tr- tr- true greatness, something of Romper quality, and I-, I think their attempts to set a detective game in this kind of open world on the Switch was just really, really misjudged. It had some absolutely horrible, horrible characters in it, some horrible writing in it. Um you know, it takes quite a lot to to kind of not. I don't say shock me is probably the wrong word, but um, I'll tolerate a lot of bullshit, a lot of anime bullshit in games, and that one was just too much for me. So there we go. That's my slightly um, prudish
0: take well luckily uh paranormal sites came along instead matthew and uh <laughs> wow to you and i'm um, sure you're looking forward to level five's deca police next year oh uh, yeah i mean
1: god le- the the level five renaissance the second coming that's exciting to me like
0: they're making all their games again i mean that's wild (laughs) yeah i think we're both gonna have that as like a prediction for next year in our next week's episode so uh (laughs) yes um so not this is a weird one because i don't think this is a bad game right but this is a game i thought was gonna like knock my socks off and then it was actually a little bit ah which was uh bolt gun the warhammer forty thousand shooter which i bought on steam a few months ago and the funny thing is right they there are a lot of these sort of boomer shooters around i know that now i know what the uh etymology of that term is i'm <laughs> i hate calling them that but the you know i think that in some ways they maybe the thing that happened with doom clones originally has sort of happened with this genre where there is so much of it that not all of it is gold and there are there are maybe too many to choose from and like not all of them are up to the same standard so i thought Well, surely if they're basing one on the Warhammer 40,000 license, they'll they'll raise the bar a bit higher. I honestly thought, apart from the fact they got that sort of like um, chainsawed, slicing through enemies interaction right which does feel really good in this game i otherwise didn't think there was anything about it that really stood out as a kind of shooter and i i, I, I played about i think like six or seven levels and then just found myself done with it unfortunately so hmm. that was the one where i thought oh this will be an easy game of the year entry for me because you know i, I you know i like the idea of like this sort of uh, 80s or 90s 40k aesthetic and this type of game but unfortunately didn't really do anything for me so uh yeah that was kind of my one from this year where i thought ah i thought this would just be better than it was so uh Mm. alas it happens matthew let's get to the top 10s then so do you want to kick off with your number 10
1: i'm gonna kick off with my number 10 my number 10 is called let's
0: revolution I've never heard of it. How is that possible? Mate, was I you not paying read attention about it this my, year
1: in my fricking blog post?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. I, I which I read thoroughly, of course. <laughs> <laughs> <It's odd. laughs> sorry. Um,
1: a very late addition to this list, but one that's been on my radar for a while. After Catherine played it and said, "Oh, you should really play this. This is this is up your street." It is very much up my street. It is a roguelike sort of tactics-ish game with a dose of Minesweeper, uh, which is why I dig it, being a big Minesweeper head. Uh, You're trying to find a king hidden on this grid uh, with numbered tiles, uh, revealing how many tiles touching that tile have a piece of road on it, and the road will eventually lead to the king. Um, But also on that road is where enemy... Uh, agents can appear, the kind of the, the sort of spies who work for the king and so the game is sort of Minesweeper in that you're using these numbers to logically deduce, well, these tiles are roads, so I should try and avoid walking on those because there might be an enemy um, but you are also trying to make progress around the board um, to reach this king which then moves you onto the next board and you do a succession of, I think, nine or so of these Um, and that's like the roguelike run if you die you're back to the start you lose all your power-ups um really unusual um is it for everyone probably not if you are you know if you don't mind roguelike games which i don't and you like roguelike games which are quite short like the runs are maybe half an hour or so that works for me uh the minesweeper of it all obviously very very cool yeah, I, I just I just thought this, it, it reminded me a little bit of like Capybara games, like Grindstone or Heroes of Might and Magic, in that they took something quite familiar, you know, here, Minesweeper, and just did something mechanically very unusual with it, uh, which really, really resonated with me. I like it when people find very fresh spins on quite kind of classic mechanics. Um, it's also got really good selection of unlockable characters whose mechanics are so different that it really does feel like you're relearning or or, or playing a different game with each run when you when you start unlocking characters like the way tiles behave and the way that they fight back against enemies uh is substantially different so you're not just bringing the same kind of tactics through which is sometimes the flaw of these games so yeah uh uh, you know kind of came out of nowhere but uh, you know speaking to our discoverability issue thank you to you know Catherine and Rock Paper Shotgun for still fighting a good fight and covering as many of these indie games as they can because uh,
0: this one was a gem well so first of all apologies for not reading your blog i think i had to <laughs> fire it out before i got on an airplane is that what
1: happened <laughs> yeah, that's fair yeah enough.
0: that was the only this is the one time i didn't read it and uh, and changed <laughs> the dashes to make sure they're all in the uh, in the same sort of dash format so uh, this looks like someone put a minesweeper on um, extreme makeover or something like it's—it's <laughs> it's visually <laughs> spectacular. It really is. Looks amazing. So, yeah, I'm sorry to uh, to have let this uh, pass me by. Um, but I am pleased I mean, that you've ambushed me with this Mobius-looking puzzle game. Yeah, straight out of the gate, that's a good, good, good kickoff point, you know. So, yeah, yeah, kind
1: of fun, hand-drawn animation style. About about a hundred reviews on Steam or something. This one didn't get reviewed anywhere, and it didn't become a breakout hit on Steam. So it's a double whammy.
0: Yeah, it's currently 30% off in the Steam sale. And so, yeah, that will still apply when this episode goes live, I assume. So, uh, yeah, a couple, well, at least for a couple of days anyway. So, cool. Uh, well, I'm, actually, I've added that to my Steam wish list, Matthew, and I'll probably just buy it out of guilt to maintain this oh, partnership well, on this podcast. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's kind of you. Remember
0: remember that goodwill when some of my more contrarian takes later arise. <laughs> Do you know what? The funny thing is, when it, you said Let's Revolution, I thought that had a bit of the energy of, like, uh, Eugene Acker's WiiWare games, and I thought it was going to be an Let's homage catch. to them. Yeah, I thought it had that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was going to be, oh, yeah, they've made a roguelike of Let's Catch or something. I honestly Next thought it was Revolution gonna be something is like that. going
1: to be a hula hoop game. It's about gyrating your hits for <laughs> a dungeon as Eugene Acker.
0: Yeah, well, Let's Revolution does have a bit of uh, like Nintendo uh, sort of like digital download game energy as a, as a title. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's even got an exclamation uh, mark in the, oh, it has, of the, the yeah. title, which you didn't hold against it, and I that no so. no i would normally <laughs> <laughs> okay my highly conventional number 10 by comparison matthew is dredge you're uh, familiar with this game of course this is i the, am is this high on your list i'm guessing not. it isn't yeah okay so fishing horror based game that was published by team 17 made by i think black salt uh, games to dev why did i not just fucking write that down and why did i just yeah, try yeah, and no, sell out right. yeah i think that is right i think they're based in new zealand so yeah that's this, right. this game is one of the big breakout indies of the year and i think that's very fair because the the idea of it clearly just captured people's imaginations which is just a fishing horror game you're on like a ramshackle boat going around an arch- archipelago archie i arch- oh, fucking struggle with this word a set of islands let's say let's just say that instead yeah you just say it instead i really am, I have to re- readjust the podcast thing at this point and i think that there's actually nothing that's particularly stand out about it apart from the way it looks it's a very nice looking game like it's uh, sort of i wouldn't say like cart it's got like a cartoony inflection to the art style i guess but it is like recognizably a horror game like there's a lot of like muted colors and there's not you you know you're not you're looking at something anti-cosy i would say when you're looking at it like it's a you know it's it, it's a game where you are you know basically taking a boat around uh around a series of shores you're looking for you you are fishing you're investigating wrecks that kind of thing and also um going to like different towns and in sort of like unpicking mysteries and that sort of thing but you can just tell from the look of it that it is it is trying to convey something a little bit darker and indeed while there is sea life out there there are also lovecraftian kind of like monsters and larger sea life um which are obviously spooky in themselves i remember like a blue whale passing under my boat in this being just like such an unsettling moment even Mm -hmm. though i'm sure that's what it'd be like to encounter one of those things in real life they are just obviously spectacularly large so I think that it it thrives because all of those individual elements are done quite well, and they add up to something just very, very compelling. Like it, it does create, I would say, like the central narrative, which is basically a, a, a sort of like a mystery that leads you on a bit of a MacGuffin hunt isn't necessarily the most interesting thing about it. it really is just going out there and seeing is this world as weird as they're kind of hinting at, at the start of their game and what's going on in this like day night cycle when at night certain things seem to start appearing in the middle of the water that are causing you to crash your ship and the sense that something something is just like unsettling is 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 uh bubbling away beneath the surface it's very very effective and i think that it just, it just it just really those first few hours as you kind of like explore and Work out what's going on. Just, just fantastic. I can see why it captured people's imaginations. And mm. like I say, even though I don't think the fishing is necessarily amazing. I don't think like upgrading your boat like has tons of mileage in it. And in some ways, I think it does become slightly less compelling as it goes. And this is, I guess, mm. just a little bit of balance. But I just think it what a fucking great idea for a game and so Ooh. well executed. And and like a, just a deserved standout because. I just like the idea of something like this clicking in people's brains, like a light bulb go- going off. Fishing horror mm-hmm. game, and then it being as good as it needed to be to like live up to that um, that premise. Thoughts, Matthew?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've seen loads of people sing the praise of this. I've I've played like a couple of hours of it myself, um, and I completely get what you mean about like the strength of those first hours. Like the loop is very compelling. It's interesting you describe the kind of look of it as anti-cozy because actually, if not for the, you know unknowable kind of horror cosmic horror elements of it that the kind of routine of running your business and like improving your boat and catching the fish and putting them in the inventory it it almost is quite cozy you know there 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 almost is like a like a harvest moon or a kind of you know the simple pleasure of just a a simple job well done you Mm. know um and so to sort of marry that very kind of hypnotic loop with a growing sense of unease and whatever is going on with the bigger narrative yeah su- yeah super interesting um as a hybrid and yeah it's clearly caught the imagination of you know fucking it feels like loads of people have talked about this game this year
0: it does and there are just moments where you find yourself just sort of like stranded in like a in like the middle of some like a large body of water and you can only see a tiny pinprick of light in the distance of where the nearest town is and you realize you're much further away than you need to be and some you know some bad things could happen to you and some noises are getting louder and some like images are getting closer and it just just yeah it it just really is effective as a horror game and yeah the less you know the more effective it is i Mm. guess but like um when you do like make a a journey into a to a a part of the map you've not been to before you do feel like you're basically like uh you know like out of columbus or something like an astronaut you're just like oh wow i just (laughs) i remember when i was just in my own little kind of like bay fishing around and now i'm like properly exploring this map and my my boat can move faster and i feel a little bit more confident being out there and i have a better sense of the world and what i'm doing and I think it just really is a great little journey they take you on in this game. I've not played the the DLC they've released, but um, I will go back to it and play that at some point. But yeah, um, definitely a deserved entry here. Like a really great uh, summer game to dig into on the old Steam Deck. I didn't trust this to run on Switch. I'm sure it runs fine on Switch, but um, I play my indie games on Steam Deck these days. So yeah. Uh, What's your number nine, Matthew?
1: My number nine is Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed.
0: Mm, So it's a major DLC pack, right?
1: Yeah, the big, the final piece of DLC for Xenoblade Chronicles Three. That, uh, unlike uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Two DLC, Torn of the Golden Country, which they sold as a standalone, this one I think you do have to own Xenoblade Three to to get. Um, even though it is sort of substantial enough, I'd say to to be a standalone game, and a lot of its strengths are are the same as the Golden Countries in that kind of takes the whole Xenoblade experience and kind of crushes it down into a 25-hour campaign. So you start with new characters, you level them up all the way to the higher levels, but in 25 hours instead of a 150 hours. So you get that accelerated power curve, you get all the big emotional story beats, you get some brilliant new music, which is always a key part of why I love these games. Um, it has a whole new landmass of its own and Uh, what makes this one stand out and why it it really resonated is that it is a prequel to xenoblade chronicles 3 but it also ties up a lot of story strands from xenoblade 1 and 2 you know for people who aren't going to you know who still plan to play these games I've, i've i've uh carefully stepped around spoiling them in the past and i'll continue to do so now um but they are kind of the Xenoblade games they're all sort of standalone adventures but they kind of hint at a deeper connection Xenoblade 3 made that a little bit more explicit uh this makes it super explicit and brings back some characters from the previous games into the mix so huge burst of fan service some of the locations you go to are direct riffs on things from previous Xenoblade games so that was just a yeah big nostalgic rush for me um kind of like you know, maybe this has been done in other sequels, JRPG sequels that I haven't played or other spin-off games that I haven't played, but the idea of a little game that kind of, kind of investigates what happens to these heroes after their life's quest is done you know you've saved the world you've done the the thing your game was about and then what happens to them afterwards when they're a little bit older and what they're you know what do they get up to you know like the idea of checking back in with these characters you know 10 years 15 years down the line i thought that was really cute and as a wider project i just love that nintendo have really invested in xenoblade you know it's created and led by Tetsuya Takahashi, who very famously is behind a lot of unfinished works. You know, he worked on Xenosaga and I think made like half the games he set out to make. And so to see someone who has grand ambitions and storytelling ambitions that you know cover multiple games and spin-off games and dlc episodes and be able to sort of see that project through to its completion on nintendo's dime um like amazing i mean what a what i like a happy ending one would assume for that that creator's sort of story that they've they finally found a home where they're like safeguarded and can actually do the work that they want to do i you know i i, I find that very pleasing
0: yeah, so, you know, it's just like the the Citadel DLC for Mass Effect 3 of Xenoblade, Matthew, where it's like the... Uh,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but with yeah, no house party, no house party in it, you know?
1: Yeah, it, it tickles the same kind of fan service in places, but it is like its own... Like, the central characters are new characters to the whole... You know, they're new to the whole series, so it is fundamentally about these new people and where they fit in, but... um, Yeah. And also, like, they're not having to do it to kind of, like... Cheer people up or apologise to them because everyone hated the last part of their trilogy. Um, this is a dist- like this the whole Xenoblade thing is just a big success story for this guy. Yeah, you know they made loads of games. Everyone really liked them. They've worked out how to make massive JRPGs but to a time frame that like no one else can. Probably helps because of the like the technological ambitions of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you look at Final Fantasy. 16 like in the time it takes to make one of those you know they made two of these things and two spin-offs and it, it just speaks to what you can do when you're unshackled from like the 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 graphics arms race i think
0: yeah i think as well it's like it's a it's nice for them to tie the bow on this particular generation where they've Mm. got you can play this entire series minus i guess chronicles x but it doesn't really count anyway you can play those three games and all their dlc on the switch and that basically represents the best of what japanese rpgs are right now and that that is a kind of like a a chunk of stuff you could just go off and enjoy it's quite an amazing body of work like you say they just they can make it in less time than than other developers can and you know like if again like what we've learned about budgets this year maybe there's something to be said for keeping your nintendo kind of like keeping the technological level at mm-hmm. <laughs> where they have, like maybe that makes it easier and cheaper to make games, and maybe that's a good thing. Like that's, mm. you know, there's there's something perhaps to be said for that. So, yeah, um, that's uh, that's cool to to hear this in the list, yeah. Matthew. So-
1: I mean, this is not for people who have not played. You've got to have <laughs> played everything, yeah. or this thing is baffling as shit. So. <laughs> Do not touch it if you have not played and are very familiar with one and two and three.
0: <laughs> cool. I'll make sure. Yeah. To, when I tweet out the like which games we picked, I'll make sure it's written in like red text and bold. Do not play this unless you've played 350 hours of other JRPGs first. So yeah. good. Okay. My number nine then, Matthew, is Marvel Spider-Man Two. Is this on your list? It isn't. Oh wow! Okay, you're always like you're always a bit out on the Sony uh, first party games. <laughs> do you remember, that? like I, that was madness when you didn't put Last of Us Two or Ghost of Tsushima in your 2020 list. But uh, <laughs> hey, I'll let you do you.
1: So there are like ten games that were vying for the bottom three slots. <laughs> right, there are some sh- other shockers in there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> interesting. So, <laughs> all right. So this is an interesting one because. I didn't uh, like so Starfield's gonna be one of my honorable mentions, right? I didn't quite have time to finish it as I, like I I unlocked some of the powers and I didn't get to the end and I want to see what the new game plus was and because I didn't get that far, I didn't have it in the list. But for a long time, Starfield w- was in the Spider Man two slot of of right. this list, and then I just thought, oh, because Spider Man two is the one I finished, I'll put that in in here instead <laughs> because I still need to just like get about 40 more hours of starfield but yeah so spider-man 2 gets in here so sequel, obviously to the very very successful 2018 ps4 exclusive spider-man game and miles morales lets you play as both spider-man and uh yeah, and and introduces uh symbiote powers. Venom is the kind of like main villain of this, along with Craven the Hunter, and it builds on the, the Spider-Man story that was established in those previous games, which is kind of like a slightly older Peter Parker, uh, sort of like teacher age in the in this game, and uh what his life is like as um as Spider-Man as an adult, which is actually, you know, I would say a more interesting angle than the Tom Holland films, which are very much in that trad. Teen Spider-Man, uh, Stanley, mm. Steve. Dick Covain, but I feel like has been pretty much mine to death and who gives a shit let's do something a bit different so yeah I love I love having that kind of mix and, and Miles is the age that Peter was when he became Spider-Man so they complement each other really nicely um, the two characters get loads and loads of great character development in this I think the writing is, is really very very strong um, they weave uh, Peter's friend Harry Osborn back into the story who has been suffering from uh, what is strongly suggested to be a terminal illness and has been given something uh, basically to help him deal with that um to, to restore him to health but maybe not all as, as it seems so this it game
1: paracetamol
0: <laughs> that's true so this game unpicks their friendship it explores uh, kind of craven the hunter is this uh, i would say quite high stakes spider-man villain surprisingly well done in that respect and mm. then venom's kind of a late addition to the story um dropped in here and i think what it basically adds up to is a super refined sequel that doesn't waste too much of your time has very strong side content uh I would say adds to the Spider-Man move set in some really strong ways and then adds to it in I think some more mixed ways as well. <laughs> um I think like the the addition of gliding in this game is really cool as a way to kind of get around the world so much of the appeal is tied up in of, of these Spider-Man games is tied up in how they've taken that old Spider-Man to kind of like momentum based swinging around the city but really dialed it up and modernized it and given you everything you want from from that ability and they've done such a good job of building on it here and yeah side like i say side content is is genuinely strong Uh, you know some sort of like narrative tie ins to your usual fetch quest type stuff pretty good you can knock the entire game off in about 30 hours um which is which is cool nice to have a reasonably sized blockbuster game this year has a few mj missions in there which aren't amazing but also don't waste your time too much Are slightly better than they were in the first game i think pretty much it is better than the first game in every single way um, so I definitely have to hand it um, hand it that and um, uh, yeah I still didn't love it quite as much as the first game and I can't quite work mm. out why that is I think maybe in some ways I thought they slightly overcomplicated the combat system uh, the addition of a parry was the thing that drove me nuts just <laughs> trying to remember to do a button that's not the dodge button to deal with certain enemy attacks and the dodge button no longer dodging and that was a sum in my head I was like I'm not sure that's good design sadly like i think you might have just played a few too many souls games there and you're like we'll, we'll stick a little extra thing in here i think it's it's easier <laughs> when you've done three games and your game a little bit over design your game a little bit so i thought there's a little bit of that feature creep coming in there Ooh. but um but that is like uh, th- th- there was also maybe some like boss encounters were a little bit too lengthy but i think i'm looking at gift horse in the mouth here like if you like spider-man this is such a great complete vision of what his world is and conveying that in this in this video game form that takes it seriously and still manages to give you a fresh angle on something that's been retold so many times across so much different media yeah like well well done Insomniac a a Mm. really kind of like a really solid job and I I very much did enjoy it and I think it it definitely deserves a place in this list thoughts Matthew
1: yeah I I mean this was so nearly in the list like I I had it on my list at different points in in the process I, I swapped it out for something else which I kind of think is sort of similar to it in in terms of what i like about it and and what it's doing with with like franchises and stuff um but yes i i thought i thought this was great i particularly at a time where like the marvel film and tv project is just imploding under the waves of like bullshit and bad writing i thought this was a a, both a, a great way of you know, making a Spider-Man story, which still kind of weaves into the slightly wider, you know, there are hints at the wider Marvel universe, but without overpowering it. Um, and also how to do quite a long form story, which, you know, given, you know, Marvel have shown themselves so poor at this in the television space, like they don't know how to fill 10 hours of, of, of television with a story i actually thought the pacing and the the moves and shifts in this were were really elegantly done it helps that they have the two spider-man um but i think what they did with the, the villains was great as well um yeah I, I i really love this game i mean i think this is just testament to what a strong year it is that something as good as this didn't didn't make my top 10
0: yeah it's it's funny actually because i watched uh, no way home again recently and oh yeah what i think that I mean that film is covid as hell by the way and how it's filmed It's very <laughs> like just all, that, all those glass boxes with spider-man villains in them very strange but and the bit where they're all in his flat <laughs> for about 40 minutes that goes yeah. on ages mm. uh, so i i like i guess i thought the writing was quite poor in that actually compared to this like oh, i thought right. i thought the writing is mu- i think Insomniacs writing is much stronger than than you'll find the find in those tom holland films i don't think the writing really stands out at all the magic trick of that film obviously is just bringing all the old spider-men back and that still mm-hmm. works on a second of viewing for sure and there's some there is definitely some like good moving dialogue in there but i think i agree like this has to sustain that story over a much longer period of time does so very successfully doesn't blot out um miles morales from the story despite the fact that you know he is it's not really his story that's being told. It is more of a mm. Peter story, um, but still make him a really um, crucial point of that. The most affecting emotional part of this game, I think, was when Peter wouldn't return Miles' calls properly. It wasn't being very nice to him. I thought it was the saddest stuff in the game. <laughs> 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 because that, I think I just that felt more real to me than all of the slightly more heightened um, emotional stuff going on with Harry. S- um, so, yeah. The, s-
1: the stuff for me is when, like you know, the quarrels between domestic partners turn one of them into a literal monster. <laughs> so they're like, you'll never do the dishes! And then they become fucking venom. And they're like, oh man. I you hate know. when that happens. There oh. for the grace of God go I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, the other thing is as well, like, the two Spider-Men thing, like, when you would meet another one of them when they're, like, solving a crime or solving a crime, like, beating some dudes up and then you high-five at the end of it. Like, those touches were just were just great, really. That's just that's the most you can really make out of the two Spider-Man concept, along with some really cool sort of like team up moves in that Arkham uh, Arkham Knight fashion that we really liked in that game and have talked about a bunch of times. That's the best way you can make the most out of, out of having two Spider-Man without it being a multiplayer game. Basically, like I don't think anyone played this and was hankering for an online multiplayer component to it i think people were like really happy with how they balanced the two and let you switch between them and of course we have to give a shout out to the opening with sandman which is probably the most next gen thing i've seen on on any console um so far um this generation so yeah yeah well done everyone
1: maybe, maybe the titan boss fight
0: uh, oh shit! Yeah, that's a good point. But well, although uh...
1: that's quite that's quite scripted
0: and canned. You mm. know, it's
1: not you don't you don't have free movement around that thing.
0: Yeah. E- either way, you just get the sense that that PS5 SSD is getting a great fucking workout. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? That's, it's good. You're like, well done. You prove why we need this thing. So that's good. <laughs> um, okay. Well, do you know what? Nothing is more fascinating to me now than hearing what the the remaining game in your bottom three, Matthew. So what's your number eight?
1: My number eight is Star Wars Jedi Survivor.
0: Higher on my list. Interesting. Yep. So you come to my number eight, which I don't think will be on your list. Pikmin four. Uh higher on my list. Whoa! Oh god, okay okay, well that's a that's a shocker. So what's your number seven, Matthew? Pikmin four. <laughs> oh perfect. Okay. <laughs> they're you... jostling. It's like a great Mario Kart race. Back they're, and forth. <laughs> they're jostling like a pack of oat cheese. Um why don't you uh <laughs> <laughs> you talk about Pikmin Four, Matthew, and why it's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. What w- what I love about Pikmin Four is it takes everything that's good about Pikmin, uh, that very specifically Nintendo take on a strategy game, um, which is still stressful and kind of panic-inducing as you manage this army of very frail seeds, uh, seed creatures, and there's this constant sort of worry and time pressure of like at the end of the day these things are going to be lost so you're constantly aware of of not going too far out of your comfort zone but it also it, it never becomes too complicated it's it's really just boiled down to like managing this one group of things the different sort of Pikmin types you know people know what Pikmin is but at, at its heart I, I think you know I, I love the just the elegance of how they've captured the kind of emotions of strategy games but in a way which my non-strategic brain can kind of enjoy them um this one it grows out into just a really massive adventure easily the biggest pitman game with that comes some flaws like it's it's quite baggy it's quite bloated it takes a while to get going a lot of its pressures don't emerge until like the end game which i've only only just reached and i'm not explored massively myself but even so like the body of the the quest while i thought generally lower pressure than the previous pitmans because the, the main campaign isn't governed by like an overarching time pressure um that's the kind of key missing ingredient from this uh i still i just love that world you know i love the you know everyday items are giant it looks really handsome it's incredibly cute while also being really sinister it's one of the few cute games that actually clicks with me cuz it's not trying to be cloyingly cute it's not trying to like i mean they are trying to sell merchandise but it f- it feels like it's accidentally ad- adorable because there's so much horror in this world as well when these things get munched um I just found it a really complete, satisfying experience. Just really, really polished. And just a great example of what Nintendo are doing, of just letting their teams take their time and and building like the biggest, most fleshed-out versions of their franchises ever, um, which has kind of been the Switch story. It's like, you know that thing you love? Well, here it is but there's more of it than ever before and it's all pretty great and i'm like great i'm i'm enjoying this trajectory
0: <laughs> yeah it's truly i've honestly like an amazing nintendo time constantly excited by you know basically every quarter there's something great to play on your switch <laughs> right. and this is uh yes one of the nintendo games in my list and i agree that it's you know like it's basically a version of real-time strategy that's what pikmin's always been but this one's interesting because I do agree it's very very prolonged. It's like it asks it asks for a lot of your time um for the return I would say. Um the learning curve is quite gentle uh, and it takes maybe slightly too long to become properly challenging as as you allude to there. Like the end game is where it heats up a little bit and then there is one other thing at the end that it resembles a more traditional shape of a Pikmin game that is sort of like your your hardcore um sort of offering I guess. And so it amidst that just to like <laughs> we still want to get the pacing issues out of the way before i praise it um yeah, yeah. there's also all of the dialogue bits with the with the npc characters the spacemen and and all that <laughs> that are, are kind of just waffle and don't really need to be in the game don't add anything really but you get past that and it is such a generous game like these amazing environments that you explore it's kind of like has an adventure game feel because you are going into this like basically foreign worlds where are these monsters marching around that are going to eat your little pikmin there are these like hatches you go into these dungeons to find what's down there and uncover all these artifacts of the old world including like you know game boy advances and lots of fun nintendo bits and pieces and gave think one of my more popular tweets of the year <laughs> which which, <laughs> Thank one you, <laughs> which one was that nintendo which one was that
1: it was a load of Pitmin carrying a game by advance and it was just like the lads are off down to it. <laughs>
0: that's pretty good i like that yeah i mean it, like, it's no it's uh, no blocko but <laughs> i'll take it it's no jeff keely is in borgen but uh what can you and do it's,
1: it's better you know i'd rather see that on twitter than an advert of like an, a fucking
0: you know literal no oh, i'm not gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> fair enough so yeah i think that so there yeah there is this like flattened out learning curve it's as flat as you can possibly make it but it is undeniably a good hang i think it's just it's it's fun to just like poke around this what this world and feel like you're you know basically like taking over bits and pieces of it as you kind of like remove the sort of like threat of the monsters when you do get to the later parts of the game post the first set of credits it does have more to show you in some quite cool places uh, the combat is slightly guilty of like uh, you pointed this out that your frozen pikmin are always going to be your most useful one sometimes oh, yeah. because you just chuck them in there they're a little bit too powerful you don't have as many reasons to use some of the other ones so the rock uh, black rock pikmin are pretty good they do some uh some serious damage i think like it just it does like eventually like find the sort of challenge level that stimulates you even if they're in the middle of it there is like this period where you're like oh like is this am i may be tuning out of this a little bit but i will say despite all that like that core loop is so so compelling like i it was this was my big my summer game incredibly compulsive i played it for 40 hours in the end which is absolutely massive it's a huge game and i and i really do think that there are just like plenty of plenty of peaks along the way where it does get exciting where the stakes do feel high where you are being challenged the dandori challenges can be quite uh, dandori battles can be quite fun and they're just uh, just some some cool some really cool ways they play with the concept there are the nighttime bits where you basically have to go out and farm a specific type of crystal with a specific type of pikmin while loads and loads of monsters march towards your little uh nest thing um basically just like a <laughs> kind of like a nighttime sort of horde mode just a, a kind of like really cool little idea that again just dials up the challenge in little bursts and absolutely packed with character and just like just really a really complete feeling package and mm. yeah if this is your first touch point with Pikmin then I think you'll just be absolutely in love with it like whatever they do next I'm completely on board because this is really one this has hooked me on Pikmin for the first time really I'm so complete so uh yeah I'm mm. glad it's on both of our lists Matthew I thought you might have might not have made it onto your list because I know it was one of the games you hadn't played for a while, but maybe you got to it at the end of the
1: yeah, year. Yeah, no, it was. It, it, yeah, just just really, really charming. It helped. I started playing it um, the weekend we went up for Joe Scribble's wedding, and there was a fair amount of like sitting around in a hotel beforehand, and so I was in just a good mood because obviously you know you know and see one of my my good friends get married, so there was lots of positive vibes. So those positive vibes mixed with like. You know, a positive tweet, success, and, (laughs) and, uh, you know, delightful little
0: Pikmin. We got yeah, we got really. to get you off Twitter as the takeaway from this. Podcast. Oh, it's
1: really very b- very bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, good. Well, glad Pikmin Four got the uh, attention it deserves from the back page boys. Then, um, yes, I, I, I was like, I felt like the way I will eventually die will be some Pikmin carrying me away to be farmed into uh, something or another.
1: How um, many Pikmin do you think it will require to carry each of us? <laughs>
0: oh, two fifty, definitely two fifty. Like that, <laughs> like, absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, good stuff. So. Uh, right, is, I th- is it my number so seven? So all
1: number seven.
0: Okay, so my number seven is My House, the Doom 2 mod, Matthew. <laughs> Did you expect this <laughs> to be on ex- my list?
1: I was expecting <laughs> this to appear.
0: <laughs> yeah, so My House is an old Doom 2 mod of someone's house. It was released by Steve Veg Nelson as a tribute to his friend Tom, who died last August. Except none of that is true. It's actually a horror game. It is a Doom level, or a series of levels, depending on how you look at it. Where a house full of doom enemies a normal house like a normal kind of like suburban uh, sort of american house you clear out the enemies you leave the house go around the outside and then you see more enemies inside you go inside and the house's layout has changed and that keeps fucking happening and then it gets weirder and weirder it keeps morphing into something stranger and darker that uses Doom's existing um, iconography in some really cool ways, but also has a bunch of its own kind of like weird new enemies. It has multiple paths and endings. It will show you things you'd never expect to see in a Doom level. It is majestic. And it does everything a great horror game is supposed to do. That's what this really is. My House is a horror game. It, it will surprise you. It will shock you. It will reward your curiosity with terrifying shit. And it features a heavily meme'd DreamWorks character as a boss battle. What more could you want? I think. <laughs> it really is i think it's just a great celebration of everything doom does well and also just like a crystallization of everything that that amazing like wad slash mod scene can has accomplished with with these old games and there's like even stuff that i didn't realize is in the game like i read a piece by um where's on pc gamer um where there is a bit of the game where they the game you seem to fail and it kicks you out into regular doom 2 but then if you finish that Level in doom 2 it actually takes you back into my house and the the horror begins again um and it just it, this is so much invention to it and i i spent probably like i don't know s- six to eight hours unpicking it finding every secret like i just i'd wandered to, to one ending where basically the sky was red and everyone who was in this house was clearly dead and then the game was kind of like giving you this terrifying thing about all these people who used to live there what happened to them and And all this stuff and then i realized that was actually just like one optional smaller side to the actual main main quest so i went back and and did that and when you yeah and then like it has a proper finale and it's it's really it's really incredible so for people that could be bothered to actually install a mod and go and do this i really do think it's worth it just for the ways it it will surprise you. Just it will it will do all of these tricks that you, that you might not realise that people can do with Doom Two mods, and just really like sort of like bend your brain in some cool ways. So uh, yeah, there it is, Matthew. The suits pick. Are you happy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the suit's pick. I'm just I'm happy
0: that you found something which slightly
1: fucked you up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that this is like your ongoing quest, <laughs> which you know. It can only end horrifically for you. Whenever I think of you and your quest for endless horrors, uh, I'm al- I always end up thinking of the kind of deviant. Uh, sort of villains in Hellraiser films, because all they want is to kind of push their body to the most extreme pain and horror imaginable, and that <laughs> they end up playing with the cenobites as, as a as a result. So I think that is the your final destination. Is you're going to work your way through Doom mods, and then the next thing you know, it's the fucking lament configuration, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I, I wish
0: you well. and I'll mourn for you. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. That's uh, that's you know really articulate, spectacular. I think you're right. I mean, the the thing I I sort of like uh, some people, some people wrote in and asked, "Oh, what's the kind of like ideal game you want to make?" And I probably came up with some some bullshit um, answer that was kind of like waffling on. But now I know what game I want to make, and that is I've got like the the MetaQuest Three right, and it actually has a front mounted camera and can show your room in full color. And what I really want to do is like a horror mystery game where it places like items to solve a mystery around your room and then pt style shit starts happening oh, like to your God. actual living room and then like you look behind you and then just see like a figure in the distance and or like but it's like it's so well because the camera is like slightly kind of blurry you kind of get that slightly pt-ish filter effect right. i want to do that where you are basically it basically turns your room into like a really haunted fucked up place and not in a corny oh. way in a way that like ruins your life that's now my dream game Matthew so, awesome. uh,
1: so do you remember <laughs> when all those questri owners died of attacks? that was good
0: the, the closest someone's made so far there's a game where you can you basically get a baseball bat and zombies will climb out of portals in your living room you just batter them it looks quite silly but I want to do like the fucked up kind of exorcist version of that so uh, I do not yeah. want my
1: house to become so cursed to me that I can't rest easily <laughs> um, but you know you are in of your own space oh so.
0: god that's got such like a Larry David inflection when you say that it's uh yeah big Kirby enthusiasm <laughs> energy um okay so we come to your number six don't we Matthew
1: yeah an equally spooky offering
0: uh Site, the seven mysteries of Honjo Mm, not on my list but I, I thought this would get pretty high for you
1: yeah this is my obligatory Square <laughs> Enix made a, a weird sort of visual novel thing just for me um <laughs> last year it was the centennial case which was i couldn't believe my luck that they made that um this is a more straightforward visual novel about a group of individuals set across a couple of days i think it is uh, and they are all involved in a series of curses in this lore, different people get different curses, which are activated by doing different things. If you kill people with your curses, if you kill enough people with your curse, um, you can bring a loved one back to life. And all these different people find themselves either maliciously pursuing this dream or trying to deal with the fallout of all these curses. Uh, that, that, it's just great. That's, that's a really fun setup for a game. Um, it's a really good excuse to have all these multiple storylines happening at once. So it's got a little bit of that Shibuya Scramble kind of—you you sort of jump between timelines, different things you do in different timelines kind of affect other strands of the story. So sometimes you have to make sure something plays out a certain way to aid someone in their storyline and so forth. Um, but very compact compared to Shibuya Scramble. It's about ten hours long. Uh, written and directed by a guy called Takanari Ishiyama, who I'd not heard of. Uh, I think this is his first game that got released in the West. Apparently, he's worked on a lot of detective visual novel games, which are very popular, um, which I'd never heard of. Um, apparently, worked on Metal Gear Solid, the original, as a sound designer, um, which is kind of interesting because I think there are some like, weird Kojima-isms in Paranormal Sight uh, in terms of like the way it kind of plays with the kind of... It, it, breaks the, it breaks the the fourth wall in certain ways and plays with the kind of conventions of, like, video game menus and things like that in ways that I won't spoil. Um, a lot of that stuff's kind of front-loaded, so you go in thinking, wow, this is going to be the most experimental game ever. Actually, it, it kind of fades off as the story goes on, and it, it lets the story kind of step forward... I think it was Chris Schilling who actually said there's quite a lot of sing in this game as well, which is probably why it resonates. And I definitely see that in that it has a you know a handful of really well realized puzzles, but I wouldn't say the whole thing is a puzzle game per se. And it has really good character work and a very striking art style. It's it's just a a really good time. Uh, Great music, great vibes you know is slightly spooky when it needs to be but also goofy very endearing characters you want certain people to win and you know you have that kind of buy-in and investment in the story and that's crucial um yeah like a real pleasant surprise that a you know big publisher like Square Enix can still find it in their hearts to release very niche narrative projects and and localize them for everyone I I hope and I've said this before on the pod but Whatever process is happening that allows these games to be made, I hope it continues because, like, it is keeping me
0: really well fed. Dare I say it? This looks like it's done all right. It's got almost two thousand reviews on Steam, which is yeah, not bad. So
1: it, it's in quite a few end of year lists as well. Like, I, I feel like it's. It's it's broken out a bit. I mean, maybe for a Square Enix game, that's kind of small potatoes. But um, hmm. yeah, it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's ni- I mean, it's, I wouldn't say any Square Enix game is is, is niche. Like it, I've heard more people talk about this than the Centennial case for sure. Yeah. Um, like maybe like the anime style of it is is you know that it doesn't have the FMV thing going on, so it's a bit more. Mm. um palatable to most
0: people um the horror element as well might be a little bit more you know yeah i mean
1: it's i don't want to oversell that like this isn't you know my house too you know (laughs) this this isn't my first step to sticking my hand in fucking pinhead's box of horrors (laughs) Uh, like that is not something i'm interested in at all um (laughs)
0: so yeah that's fair <laughs> uh, yeah i think it's just the way they're selling it though is certainly because i just added my steam wish list i might buy it after this episode actually like it's a tenner and it looks i really love the art style actually that that jumps mm. out to me so uh yeah i'm pleased that they are making these games for you and i'm pleased that you can continue, continue to highlight these to our listeners matthew who might um otherwise miss them this is like yeah i mean yeah. It, i actually like this one had slightly
1: passed me by and uh, it was uh Chris on Edge was a real champion of it, so yeah, a big, big thumbs up to him. A yeah. good, Chris Schilling is a great follow on Twitter for like good indie recs.
0: Yeah, I will also, I will second what you said about Edge and like game discoverability this year as well. Like, mm. I think that just if you, you know, like uh, obviously, I encourage you to read Edge if you haven't read Edge for a while. I would say like look at their Metacritic page and like sort it by time, and they have highlighted so much stuff that other outlets have just never talked about or. I've only talked about a tiny bit and like it's you know like uh, when you read the magazine those those games really get uh, their moment to shine and like I think it's just it, it's a, I think it's great to use uh, something that just lives as a standalone print product to curate that stuff you know without the kind of like worries of seo it's just about game curation for that audience and i think that's just maybe the best i'm, I'm seeing it done these days on edge so mm-hmm. um yeah I, I agree it's um a good place for that but yeah paranormal site good stuff matthew very silly name um but <laughs> but i would not that but again like why hold that against this genre it would rule out so many games frankly so uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my number six I wonder if this is on your list, Cobalt Core. It's higher on my list. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, what's your number five?
1: It's Cobalt Core. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> interesting. So, do you, I...
1: do you want you do you want to talk about this one? I just talked about Paranormal Sight.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this was a real late in the day pickup for me. It's a, It's got a bunch of basically like in the last month or so people are adding it to various i've seen it like a, maybe a couple of game of the year lists, but maybe more in that kind of vein of stuff you might have missed sort of list so yeah so many games have tried to riff on ftl one of my favorite games and come up with something tangibly worse i think this game mm-hmm. which is very close in its audio visual style like uh, sort of basically uh, sort of a pixel art sci-fi spaceships uh like one-to-one spaceship combat basically blends a very similar type of ship combat and visual style and and type of music like kind of like I guess like slightly chiptune-y but evocative atmospheric sci-fi music with deck building and card combat which you've probably encountered in games like Slay the Spire or Inscription or or Monster Train. This is like a popular sub-genre in its own right and you travel across this galaxy you take on encounters with normal enemies tougher enemies boss enemies there are some tiles on this like map you go across as well that have optional items which give you um like different uh, items different sort of like these items can give you a boost there are narrative events as well with different characters there are like repair stations to keep your ship going where you can also upgrade your um, cards in your deck and upgrade your ship and then there is like a each of your crew members has a specific kind of, like, um, speciality. So one might be an engineer who specializes in deploying drones, and then um, there's a, like, meta progression where you can unlock new ships that do different things, and then also new characters who have different specialities, and then there's also a wider narrative to unpick that you can only finish by um, doing completed runs of the game. Each run takes about uh, Mm. an hour hour to, like, finish, but in the FTL style, you might also get blown the fuck up and have to start again, but... Again, there is still that kind of, like, meta progression to never make it feel like you're completely wasting your time, basically. And you can calibrate the difficulty so it's not too tough on you. And like I say, I think it's just that FTL journey of, like, let's go on an adventure. We know we need to get to the other side of this. It's combined with, again, um, taking from subset games, I would say a kind of slightly Into the Breach-style self-awareness about the loop-like nature that the characters are stuck in, Um, combined with these, I guess, generously Star Fox-style character designs and it's just a really great version of this kind of roguelike roguelike mm. space combat game and you know what matthew i just really fucking love spaceships and like uh, <laughs> this has some good ones in it um it's uh it's narrative elements are uh, start a little bit softer than ftl i'd say which ftl goes a little bit more for that sort of like slightly Battlestar galactica ish sci-fi where it can be mm. a little bit more suicide bombery this <laughs> this is not necessarily yeah. in that in that mold at first but definitely has like a bit of an undercurrent of of sadness to the larger um, narrative um but it's just really fucking great and also uh, you know like a whole whole ass strategy game you can play you know with a controller or like with or on steam deck as i'm playing it on switch and it works incredibly well with those controls simple but so much depth to it matthew thoughts
1: yeah, I think this is fucking brilliant. Um, I almost put it higher. I've, I am. Same. I love this game. Um, all the reasons you said, like the combination of those things. I think the the, 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 the like the narrative layer to it feels very post-Hades. In that, you know, each loop you complete, you're kind of learning more about the world, and then the game kind of moves on and changes things. You know, it's it's put the repetition into its into its storytelling in the same way Hades did and it's also got quite a light touch you know it's more like you say more Star Fox than maybe like FTL if 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 I was Nintendo I would 100% get these guys to do a Star Fox spin-off I think that would be amazing I think this is like the best Star Fox it's not a Star Fox game but it's kind of like the best Star Fox game in like 15 years or something yeah uh Because it really puts you in mind of that, it's that kind of daring do, kind of like animals in space, the hotshot pilot, the amazing gunner, the genius engineer, like it it really sells you on that. Um, I love that in combat, you know, all the moves you're doing are obviously played by pulling cards, but as well as attacks, there's a lot of focus on like maneuvering your ship. And you can kind of like weave it through firing patterns that you can see incoming on the next turn. And so like where you leave the ship, I think it really captures the energy of a dogfight in this very like static turn takey way, which I've not seen before in a game. I I I think that's really beautifully done, especially when you start getting like, you can get cards that like make the ship fold up smaller if you end turns in certain conditions. So you can like steer it through these tiny little like you know incoming waves of laser death but just because you played the right cards you can get your ship to do some mad shit uh oh it's so good the music is fucking rad as well i love the music in this game um like the 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 second boss in this uh the boss fight theme for that whenever it happens it's it's such a it's such a banger like to hit like halfway through your run it really like lifts you up and powers you through to that final final stretch really
0: really good shit yeah, I think that that that's definitely like it's definitely worth dialing in more on the combat, like you say there. Like it's the fact that you can build these sort of like monster combos of stuff. Where, let's say, you uh, what's really interesting is like there's like a there's you and then at the bottom of the screen there's the enemy at the top of the screen and then in the middle there's like a a a layer of things that go in there so like (laughs) basically like they'll launch a missile and it will hang there for a turn and then it will like move forward and then you can either dodge out the way you can like get a certain ability that turns the missile around Uh, like and that's just like one element you can also when you kind of get like a little sort of drone launcher specialist basically you can uh, drop attack drones that will do like one damage each time they fire but they can obviously be destroyed by the enemy you can um you know like uh, drop once a turn you can just drop like an asteroid into the into in the way which will like block an enemy attack and you can just lay those everywhere and that could be the foundation of your strategy or you can just have a direct shoot everything strategy but the deeper (laughs) you go into it the more you play with the combos that's where you realize that's where the substance of the game really is they have thought so hard about how those different characters interlock in terms of what their different cards do and then mm. like what you can do with those cards, how much management you can actually do of your deck to like take out redundant cards or upgrade cards that are really meaningful to you. Um, the ways in which like an enemy can do an attack that basically inconvenience you with shit cards you have to get rid of. Like it's, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's yeah.
0: so well done. And I actually thought at first, like, I was like a little bit worried that, or skeptical I, would, I should say, that it wouldn't have the depth of FTL, but I'm about... I think like six or seven completed runs in and there's still loads more to do and and to like and to it it'll be like ftl where i think i just play it pick it up and play it perpetually um mm. so, oh, man it's so good like again if, if it's one i would have finished it might have cracked the top five like it's definitely like objectively absolutely incredible games so yeah yeah, yeah yeah well done everyone good lord it's so, well so done,
1: good well done cobalt core well done rocket rat games yeah
0: <laughs> three people apparently made this i just wow. wow incredible so so good so i'm telling you nintendo
1: they would be missing a trick not to get these guys to do a star fox spin off i would be like you know how that nintendo worked with um, crypt of the necrodancer and did that zelda one mm they they are open to these things. They should absolutely do that for this. This it would be perfect.
0: I quite like the idea of that. It'd be really hard to write like that much slippy dialogue. Do you know what I mean? Like that's uh, <laughs> tough to keep that yeah. going. Um, yeah, this is really good. This yeah, just it's it's funny because it's like it's like FTL, but the the sort of like way you interact with it is is slightly simpler so it's kind of like a good way in if you never even played a game like that it's also not as hard as ftl at least like in its basic form you can make it harder and you will need to to unlock more spaceships but good lord matthew so good god maybe it should have been higher oh anyway that's like that was my holiday game um well one of them so uh yeah um, amazing stuff so what are we up we up my number five Yes. Okay, so your Corbett call was your number five, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, my number five is Super Mario Wonder. Is this on your list? It isn't. <gasps> oh, is that one of the big sort of that's like... The, uh, that's
1: probably the one. That's yeah. the
0: one I feel shitty about. <laughs> okay, so I think that me and Matthew are both sceptical. Well, I suppose I'm, I don't <laughs> want to speak for Matthew here, but we are both a little, maybe you're both a little bit sceptical about the idea of a, a new 2D Mario and what that might entail, particularly in a year where that terrible film came out which you know i feel like is <laughs> is kind of like i feel like everyone's kind of agreed wasn't very good but it did happen it was enormously successful it's left no cultural footprint i don't think so <laughs> i kind of think there's a kind of an element of oh this is basically like uh you know new super mario bros and the wii where it's just going to be the broadest possible mario for everyone and then you what you realize they've made is essentially 2d mario with a 3d mario mentality so mm. essentially like giving each level a kind of like a core conceit that they can use to mix things up or show you something they've never done in 2D Mario before, and then an escalated version of that when you pick up an item called a wonder flower that takes it to the next level where the game the, the level will become really, really intense or strange or bizarre, or just basically like push that idea as far as it can possibly go and then wow you with some amazing thing that that kind of like riffs on what came before. So, I guess, like as an example, um. Uh, there's a an enemy, for, an enemy that can smash through areas of a level in a vertical line, and then there's a, when you take the wonder flower, they cut, beca- they then take up half the screen, and enormous chunks <laughs> of the level are being taken out. We talked about how it very b- briefly becomes like a top-down Mario game in one level, and it, or, or like there'll be like a level where you're given like a fireworks launcher that can blow up bits of the environment, and <laughs> you'll just have it for that level, and then the idea will go away. It's like you know basically like game jam style stuff going on within you know like the framework of the most one of the most popular series in the world and that's an amazing thing to behold and it's it it wows you in all the ways in which i think a great 3d mario game does um i think like one thing i will say about it is that it's sort of like those ideas I think, like, they are all pretty... uh, Across the board, I think this game just dazzles you and and made me just audibly go, wow, like, a bunch of times. Mm. Some of them are better than others, for sure. Like, there, there, there are some that are kind of, like, more in the vein of, like, cinematic set PC where you're not necessarily... You're, it's kind of more about what you're seeing and hearing as opposed to like the uh, you're doing something amazing gameplay wise that really knocks oh. your socks off. That's very, I guess, like granular criticism of how this how they've approached this oh. game. But I think um, I think that's okay because you never exactly you never never really know what's coming around the next corner. Whether it's like a level where there's like a particular enemy just in that level that eats the level and the level's actually disappearing, so you better fucking get across it because soon it will be gone. Um, that's really cool and just yeah, I, I think uh, I think it. It, it does that while also having like a, a skill level which is it's a bit higher than I thought it would be so it's never mm. like really so hard that you'll truly struggle with it in the sort of like the critical path of the game like the the levels the most of the levels are like definitely doable for to a broad audience but there are also some optional asides that are an absolute kick of the nuts i tell you like a (laughs) truly out of control difficulty where you're like what the fuck were they thinking i'm screaming at my switch and i'm like okay i have to come back to this later um and i suppose like it has to be a shout out as well for the different badges they've added to the games which functionally give mario different abilities or you know mario Mm. your chosen character whether it's like allowing him to do successive jumps that make him move slightly higher up and whether it's like adding a kind of like default kind of glide ability that sort of thing just really a very very generous game at the Mm. best possible Case best possible scenario for what a two D Mario game could be in 2023, I think, and so for that reason, it cracks my top five thoughts, Matthew.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel really shitty not including this because I think it's I think it's a great a great game, and given what was happening in two D Mario, which was very poor, I felt for a number of years uh, in in the the new Super Mario Brothers kind of lineage, well, not poor, just just fine, where what was happening in 3D Mario was so extraordinary. Um, the jumping quality here, i you know, from those games to this, is, is wild. You know, like, I, I didn't think they had an, another 2D Mario like this in them. And so it's maybe churlish of me to then be like, you know, it has the behaviours of a 3D Mario, and I start thinking of it in that context. And I'm not saying I'm comparing it to the 3D Marios and finding it wanting... Um, but I, I I do I do find something odd with this game in that it's it's such a kind of kaleidoscope of like mad ideas that I I do find a lot of it doesn't really stick for me. Like I'm, I'm in the moan, I'm like this is so great, but then I kind of forget half of it afterwards. I can't play it for very long stretches. Like okay? I. It's not. It like tires tires me out. I just I find it all a little bit too stop start. Like there's something about the the stage length. This and this is why it's a really unsatisfying criticism. (laughs) Because I'm like the stages are too short. But there is something there is something a little bit too much throwaway about quite a lot of this game that kind of irks me a bit and stops it from being top tier in the same way. It's the same thing that kind of stops me from properly loving Super Mario World. 3D World.
0: Mm, I thought I could see the parallels there. and
1: um, You know, it, and it, it's the same guy. It's that You know, they basically bought Mr. 3D World into the 2D Mario team to kind of make Wonder happen, which is why it's that step up. But he's kind of brought in the, the, the traits I didn't like as much from that game. And, like, when this game's on fire, you are like, there is... This is so good. I mean, there's nothing else like this. And every one of these ideas... Of which there are so many, are so polished and sort of thought through that even if you see them for fifteen seconds, you know they are as developed as full characters might be in in another game, and you have to respect it and love it for that. I, I it just it just doesn't quite click with me in the same way. look like it's it's like easy and like a high 8 out of ten for me. You know it's like it it this is you know it was in contention for the for the, for the bottom of my list. So I just. In my, in my heart of hearts, it didn't. It just didn't quite get get there for me. Um, I think there's too many little bits where you kind of go into a room and then a guy gives you a thing and then you leave the room and you're like, <laughs> eh, <laughs> you know. It's it, it, like that sort of mini game, like everything but the kitchen sink. It's like, well, actually, you can put less in this, and I think it would probably be better for me. Um, hmm. Sorry, this is it's my miserable take of 2023. <laughs> no, that Super Mario Wonder is like. It's it's like nearly great, um, given what happened in two D Mario before. Like it's I, a take I hate myself. I hate this take. Well, the, <laughs> that the, I'm that I have.
0: The, the, uh, I think it's a fair enough take. I saw, I see what you mean. I think that maybe like the rapid fire idea element is definitely part of the why I really like three D world. And you know we talked extensively about about our contrasting views on that game, right? And, uh, right. and like where we both stand, I guess, on three D Mario generally. So yeah and i think this just um this speaks to me on that level in the sense that like i I think that i really enjoy going through these levels once and you know there is there are a couple of people i really want to share these levels with again and be like oh i want to show this to another person and experience this again so i suppose i i fall differently on that scale to you the other thing i would say is that it's it's kind of like uh how how often do you ever play a platforming game where you go around afterwards telling people like about this one or two great ideas yeah they're, they're, that's... Quite, they're quite hard to articulate generally i mean i even struggle with it there like being like you carry a fireworks launcher whatever. you kind of just have to like behold a lot of the cool stuff in this game really you can't you can't necessarily relay it to someone else and it's hard for yeah. them to stick in the memory just because of sheer quantity like if they're well, only that... you know what i mean like it's yeah yeah
1: but like i i think again like some people burn me at the stake for for this comparison <laughs> but I think of like the last 2D platform which I truly loved which was Rayman Legends yeah and that has a similar like every level does something different but there's a little less of them you know I just think ideas get to bed in a little bit more you know uh, this but that's it's you know uh, if you ever told me a world where I'd prefer a two, a Rayman game over a game a two D Mario made by the guy who made Galaxy, I'd be like, well, you know, that's like a I've been replaced by a clone and kill me kind of take, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah. here we are.
0: Well, that that's okay because I I think I I, I think like, one of the most interesting things about you and Nintendo is where you do and don't find yourself like agreeing with the larger sort of like population of nintendo fanboys out there who really like prop this stuff up and i i like it when you are out on something a little <laughs> bit more than other people that's that's interesting to me and i think that i just uh, yeah uh, what, i
1: just don't feel i, I
0: can't I, I still don't feel like i've quite put
1: my finger on what what isn't working here for me that's that's why i find it unsatisfying to talk about
0: I found this a delightful Christmas game. I just finished it. Like I did, like a yeah. wh- I did a world a day for basically like not a week, but like you know, like the the better part of a week, and that was a really great way to experience yeah. it. Like what a fantastic game to unwrap on Christmas Day and just de- delve into. Like, yeah, and-
1: you're right. I was watching Catherine play it the other day, and like every time I looked over at the screen, like you'd think it was twelve different games. You know, like yeah. so many different things were happening at any given time. Um, hmm. and yet here I am. Well, uh,
0: <laughs> I think like one thing... It's that... no
1: paranormal like <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: the thing is, I suppose what is interesting is that with 2D Mario, like with the best will in the world, I think I probably would... Smush this somewhere between an eight and a nine ultimately and right. that's like the ceiling for this i guess like it i guess like there is still a higher ceiling for 3d mario is there is is one take one very cruel takeaway from this game i suppose so yeah <laughs> um interesting but no i think it's i think it's terrific well, and like if you took your yeah. time if you really took your time with this and you played like one level under every like few days you'd like that's like a a an amazing year of playing this game basically like you just you're treated to something amazing each time they're not necessarily meant to be like mainlined in the way that we consume games so that's like one other consideration that
1: that is also true
0: yeah yeah Yeah. okay interesting well it's reached my top five anyway okay so matthew do we come to your number four is that right my number four is resident evil 4 higher on my list (laughs) <laughs> well, we might get through this in under three hours. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, my number four is probably my most controversial game on this list. So Final Fantasy XVI is my number four. Oh, yeah, not on my list. Yeah, I didn't think it would be. It's the probably the game with the most caveats that's on my list. But <laughs> it was lower in my top ten, and it has steadily risen in my <laughs> estimations in the time since I played it. And I think that's because the peaks in this game are so... Amazing, dazzling, visually spectacular wars between gods and nations. That those moments are are worth celebrating to me in a a year of like eight out of ten blockbusters, where some of them maybe never quite reach the the heights that I want them to. This is a game that has ten out of ten moments in it, even if the game is like an eight out of ten overall, and that is because the side quests as discussed in our um, recent uh, christmas special episode are just not quite uh not nearly as good as they should be they slow the pace of the game down there are too many of them and they have frustrated people across the board i can completely agree with that as a judgment on this game and, and a criticism of this game at the same time there's really something kind of like impressive and about how competent the hack-and-slash action is in this. It's Final Fantasy's second foray into this type of combat in the mainline series, and it is obviously a step up from how Final Fantasy XV did it, quite a major step up. It means that you can treat it as a hack and slash game in in a lot of ways and it means that the combat keeps you stimulated throughout the game even if you'll you'll get some repetition from fighting the same enemies or doing the same sets of abilities it gives you a whole bunch of different move sets to experiment with um Clive basically his the main character his whole thing is he can absorb basically the the summons of uh, other other characters in the game and it means that he is basically gaining a new um a sort of like set of abilities themed around each summon each time he does that and so by the end you have an absolute ton of them to choose from to to interlock and see how they fit together see what works for you and um, what optimally uh, will strip apart like a group of enemies that sort of thing really really strong and i think that coupling that baseline competence of like real-time combat which final fantasy's never quite had before uh, competence is a bit unfair i guess like uh, just like a, a high-end approach to that kind of hack and slash combat with mm. this story of this game of thrones their story of warring nations and and these kind of like figures who control gods and the story starts with this really broad canvas and then starts getting like smaller and smaller as it becomes about this kind of handful of characters and like um i think maybe it is at its most exciting in the first half of the game where it does feel like this much like game of thrones i suppose game of thrones got less exciting the smaller it felt that world was right and i think that Mm. this kind of mirrors that a little bit um just felt like it put final fantasy almost in pole position again and like just it felt like a big moment to me and i i I was very satisfied by the conclusion even if i completely agree with the criticism about some of the um the sort of bumps along the road thoughts matthew on me including this one
1: no i i get it like this this was uh, there's a version of this list so that appeared that's definitely one of the ones which was in in the the soup of of great games um i think there's like a 30 40 hour version of this game which is absolutely amazing which just focuses on the best bits and the core story beats um what i don't get is it's not just a side quest there are stretches of the main quest where it kind of switches into side quest mode and you almost have to do some side quest quality stuff to kind of like you know help someone out at your base or get someone on side to kind of trigger the next chunk of story and it's like it did not need this padding like no one wanted this game to be longer than it is, and as long as it is, um, which is annoying. Because like the set pieces, the kind of quote-unquote dungeon levels, when you're actually heading up to a big story boss, and the bosses themselves, really, really good fun. Great cast of characters. Loved the knotty politics of it all. Loved all the weird encyclopedia thing that you could bring up, which told you who everyone was. Like, just it felt, it feels so thorough compared to. 15 which was so patchy in so much of its thinking um i just i just can't get over all those side quests and it's a me problem like for wanting to do them oh right um no no no, i I just can't i can't turn that bit of my brain off i'm like well i have to do this stuff even though it's making the experience worse for me i still do it mm, Um, no
0: i I think it pushes you into compromising with it at the very least like that's a fair thing to say about this game you have to do you have to engage with the side quest on some level to reach the adequate level, I think to like beat the bosses and progress. So I don't think yeah. that's just a you problem in, in okay. your defense, Matthew. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but you know, it's beautiful. It's like, there's lots of moments in this where it's like, it looks properly next gen. Um, I'm not just saying this because, you know, I've, I've met him a couple of times, but I think, uh, the, the lead character <laughs> voice, by Ben Starr is, is a great voice performance.
0: Um, uh, <laughs> It is. I think.
1: I think the voice in this game are fantastic.
0: Like, oh, but you know, the I, winners, Ralph, Ralph Innocent is like the Ra- best. Yeah. Oh my god, he's I, so I, good. I
1: just. I don't know. I'm. I'm a. I'm a real sucker for for like good British voice acting in like a massive AAA game. It's. It's. it's, it's something I loved in the Xenoblade games as well. Mm. Um. I just like hearing regional accents um on a, on a on a kind of global scale i think that's that's awesome um,
0: yeah i think like um uh, yeah ben Starr's really good and um uh, the actress who plays alan parcher's co-host in that show that who plays jill is really good as well like um, oh, yeah. they're <laughs> just like uh, jill the character is maybe a little bit too much of a blank slate sort of like set- secondary protagonist sort of female protagonist problem there like i think she doesn't quite have as much to do as clive she's quite passive but yeah, the performances are excellent. I think Square Enix in general just absolutely bosses it with localization. They're just really fucking good at it, and yeah, yeah, yeah this is maybe their their greatest greatest work yet. So, um, yeah, really good. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like all the criticism are completely fair, but there was just this is a bit of a heartpick, I suppose. Like, I think, oh yeah, they're just it just really got the blood pumping in a way that no other game did for me this year, and just that very particular blockbuster look at this fucking amazing thing we made kind of kind of way so yeah and those um the titan battle is is probably the best example of that but as i mentioned last week there is a a point where some of the summons converge at the end for the final boss that is also amazing to look at and even if you just played the demo of this game you would have you would have seen a whole bunch of amazing shit um just (laughs) wow just such a such a great game, and it, it feels it feels complete in a way that Final Fantasy fifteen never did, as you said, Matthew. Mm. So um, yes, I do not. Uh, yeah, I. It, it was it was lower on the list, but fuck it, it can go a little bit higher. It was um, <laughs> yeah, a definite highlight for me. Yeah, exactly. So we come to your number three. Is that correct?
1: My number three is Baldur's Gate three. Oh, I've heard of it. Yes, <laughs> you've heard of it. You're aware of it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's what, what more is there to say about Baldur's Gate three? You know, this this sensational kind of success story. Uh you could have maybe maybe predicted ending this way with uh early access was very strong and people who were writing about the game in early access, you know, thought they were onto a winner. I am amazed it's blown up into this thing it has just cuz it is it, it goes against so much accepted wisdom in games in terms of uh like, how dense it is, how complicated it is, you know, there's a combat system which tries to translate the D&D rulebook into video game form, and there's, you know, a spellbook of, I don't know, thousand spells or something ridiculous, all with, like, strange arcane behaviours and bespoke interface elements, like, it is... It is, it is not sort of like focus tested in, into this very easy, quaffable AAA experience and yet for some reason, maybe that is the reason, it has absolutely kind of um, uh, struck a chord with, with millions of people. Um, a lot of that might be down to the fact that it's an incredibly horny game Um, lots of sort of thirst trap uh, companions. I will say none of them do it for me on that level. Like (laughs) they're all just a big bunch of like fucking broken weirdos, and that that isn't my my like vibe at all. Like I, you know, I know there's a lot of this uh, kind of discourse of you know I want to fix this fucked up person or whatever, and you're like this 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 all these people would be trouble and make your life a misery. As established. Sorry, the
0: only person you were horny for in a game this year was the evil mum in Final Fantasy sixteen as previously established. So yeah, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, but they're yeah, they're 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 all a bit hard work. Um, what what I love about this is it's kind of it's kind of the opposite of Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom, which may or may not feature on my list. Um, in that it is. It's it's a game where like every choice and consequence is like accounted for and have been created by writers. It's this incredible like feat of writing, flexibility and uh, I still don't really know how how they've done it other than literally sitting there and thinking about every outcome and what could happen, and then writing dialogue that fits that outcome, knowing that most people will only experience 1% of what you've written and voiced and motion captured. And I think that is how they've done it based on interviews. You know, it is just time plus writers equals a game that kind of reacts to you in this way. And I think that's a huge part of its appeal and what a lot of people are reacting to positively. It's like, wow, whatever hero I bring in, it really respects my choices. And, uh, you know, not to be too kind of, um, you know, get on my soapbox or whatever, but in this era where people are seeing you know, AI as this cost-cutting, you know, we can do anything with the power of AI. Actually, this game is a testament to artists, and what happens when you want to create great, flexible, near-infinite art is you just need a huge team of mega-brains to sit there and do the hard work and make it work and not just create this experience which reacts to you, but that reacts to you with such character and such heart and such relatability and just recognisable human, you know, effort. Not all of it will work. That's also the hallmarks of a human writer. Like, some of it won't resonate with you. You may not like the horniness of the characters. Uh, I just, you know, on on that level, you know, whatever you think about the overarching story and the mechanics of the combat, you know, I'm I'm into all that. That's all great, but uh, just uh I, yeah i just think this this game is a testament to to effort and human effort and i i don't know i think that's that's like pr- pretty awesome
0: yeah i think that this scratches <laughs> an itch that people have have wanted <laughs> to have scratched since dragon age origins basically which is right. that <laughs> cinematic fantasy game where your choices are respected like you say where you have this range of companions you want to spend time with um and at the same time it feels like this is kind of like the converging of the path that Larian was on with making these slightly immersive sim infused RPGs. Um, And then like, and then suddenly with the present, not suddenly because you know, the original sim games building up to this, but you know, just reaching that high level bar of presentation and it suddenly being the magic combo that completely unlocks something that all these millions of people have wanted. It reminds me a bit of what happened when Elden Ring came out, and there was a a bit of talk by a few designers on Twitter about about how that that game went against expectation or like or or convention of how you meant to start games or how you meant to teach things to people. And I think huh. people are willing to meet you more than halfway on something, or at least meet you halfway on something if the if just what they're getting is just so rewarding. If they're excited by it, they'll they'll join you on that journey. They'll endure a bit of complexity. They'll or they maybe even enjoy a little bit of that complexity, mm. and, and and like I, I think that's that it's amazing to see a game break out with all that in tow. I still have to to actually play it, um, and I will, <laughs> yeah. and I will. But that's, yeah,
1: I'd say like it's not a mark against it. but It's a it's so dense that it isn't a thing you can dip in and out of. Yeah, like the challenge with Baldur's Gate Three, and even when I found this. It's just finding the time to actually like play it and to be able to appreciate it. It's Really demanding of you. It's kind of like if I haven't got like five hours to spare, it's it's almost like meaningless. Yeah, because it takes you so long to achieve anything in this game because there's so much stuff to wade through, and that isn't. I wouldn't say that's that's not a problem as such. It's just a it's a me problem. It's a time problem. You know, like I, I you know I haven't finished this game yet. I'm still I'm still playing it because of that. It's like when do I ever have time to do it? And, um. It's a bit too beastly for a Steam Deck. I think you can get it working on a Steam Deck, but you know it's like PC or bust. So I begrudgingly anything which sort of tethers me to my PC, I'm always a bit cross about. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it might it might have been maybe it could have been number one if if I if I'd been able to like like play it more easily away from my PC. I did I did right. I,
0: so I've got it on PS5 and that's I think that's going to be a good way to play it I think just on my TV and it's got Yeah there is there um, is
1: yeah there's there is that too yeah um, i
0: agreed on the deck thing though i was like i saw it and i was like well, wow, it's pretty amazing they got it running on there but it's also just you need just a little bit more power because it is a visual powerhouse that's the thing so uh yeah yeah um yeah i will get through how how far are you through it if you don't mind me uh mind me asking oh yeah, pretty far like into into third acts. okay nice so yeah you've, and you've been playing it a bunch during early access as well right there that, yeah. yeah
1: that's that's I, th- I think that's what slowed me out the gates because like you know i was replaying something i'd played three times right and rather than speed me through it like it i was just slowing down going oh you know i was like misremembering things and yeah it just it, it arrived at the worst time and then gamescom happened and blah, you know
0: Sausage gate,
1: yeah, all this stuff. Sausage sausage gate, I lost my pass. Did I tell you about that? I lost my pass at Gamescom.
0: Yeah, people, there's a a WhatsApp chat I'm in where people use you after you ate those two sausages as a react emoji um, to express pain. Why?
1: I haven't given my permission for that.
0: (laughs) I don't think it'll spread any further. I don't know. Are they people, at least tell me, are they
1: people I know?
0: Uh, Some of them are, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh my god, strangers. (laughs) Some of them... Strangers that using a they just know me <laughs> as the Sausage Man. They even, have you explained my backstory? I've told them you you're a great guy. I sort of you like, shouldn't be able to use emojis of me unless you've met me. That's a rule.
0: Uh, fair enough. It's beloved um, <laughs> former Frontier colleagues, just some of my favourite people. So they're all good people, don't worry, I, I promise you. Um, what does it mean? What does it... It means what does it sort of signal? It, someone says something that... They just like something just like appalls them or makes them feel terrible. They'll just use that (laughs) react
1: On the appalling react.
0: Every time I see it, I'm just like I always have to like blink like twice. Like what what was that? I forget that Matthew Castle has been you just shouldn't have allowed yourself to be photographed after you ate this. just that's like a mistake by you. This this I
1: think there's like four reactions of me in the work slack. Right. (laughs) Like one of them is me looks like I'm about to drink. A can of beef, <laughs> and it's called Beef God. <laughs> I don't know what that signifies, but whenever I see that, it makes me off. And there's another one where I'm kind of sticking my head through a crack, right. a bit like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah. Uh, and, but I think that's kind of got a bit of pervy energy, like, who's this perv coming for a little peek, right. rather than... I'm coming to kill you.
0: (laughs) Well, I think, like, what you need to understand, Matthew, is you are an absolutely cracking cult figure. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're just... I think you're an absolute belter, really. I mean, just a great time to sort of ambiently be associated with you. Do you know what I mean? That's... that's This podcast is testament to that, I think. But... um, What was the first one? Beef? What was that one called again? Beef God. Beef God. That's so good. I want to see that so badly. Now, please send me a picture of that when you're back at the office. I'd like to see Beef God. Um, Okay. All right. (laughs) All right, um, so that was... What was so that it? was sport Escape 3. <laughs> <doing that. laughs> of course. Um, yeah, so I, I will definitely get to it and talk about it at some point. I realise it's a major omission on my part, but like I said, I don't want to force in a few hours, put it in number eight, and then just piss everyone off. I might as well just admit <laughs> I didn't get to it this year. It was a busy year. Okay. My number three, then, is Pizza Tower on PC.
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah. Is this a surprise to you? I tried to keep this one a little bit under wraps, but if you follow me on Blue Sky, you might have seen it, Matthew. Um, i told heard you about talk
1: it. about it. I'm more like I'm doing my calculations about what's left on this list. <laughs> and hang on uh no well that, that can't be right well we'll get to it
0: <laughs> that can't
1: be right <laughs> it can't be right i mean uh, no it can't be
0: <laughs> on. Carry on. okay um so uh pizza tower is a 2d platformer inspired by the wario land series i'm just going to read out the plot of the game here um because i think it's um basically just there's a, a madcap 90s nickelodeon energy to this game in general and how it looks and sounds and it just has a little bit of that feel so um, Peppino Spaghetti, a surprisingly agile and powerful fat-bulging Italian, is on a mission to destroy the titular pizza tower in order to save his restaurant from annihilation. Follow him through his rampage across many wacky floors of the tower, collecting toppings and beating up monsters. Um Players: Peppino Spaghetti, the supersonic Italian middle-aged man, and sometimes Gustavo, who is another character. So that's um that's the, the kind of like plot. You play this sort of like very frantic, stressed, anxious-looking man who. You know, in another context, could be like a Safdie Brothers um, kind of protagonist. He has that sort of energy. He's kind of like indie game warrior, I suppose. Is kind of his <laughs> vibe. Um, I think this might objectively be the best game of the year. It is a two pl- a D platformer built on ideas in the same way Mario Wonder is, but with with more precision and it's more about about scale pure platforming it has these incredibly precise mechanics if the spark shine bits and metroid dread fucked you up as you got to secret areas this is essentially a whole game of them like you are bouncing around levels you're jumping sliding running up walls and each level you essentially run to the end hit this like big block block thing with a face and then you have to sprint out of the level back to the entrance my understanding is Matthew this is basically what Wario Land 4 was all about on Game Boy Advance so this game is you know indebted to that it mentions Wario Land in the um on the Steam page so they completely own own that but it's a whole game built of that and I believe it's a much more hardcore version of that kind of experience so it asks a lot of you and each each there are 20 levels in the game and most of them have either a theme or a central idea as a hook so in, in one level you have a sword in another level you'll be able to turn into a ghost or there'll be a level where you can ride a big sausage or a dead body to speed up across the map you'll have boss fights with one-off mechanics where you get like a gun or something it just there's like there's always something to define each level and they're all visually very distinct from each other. There's five different floors you go up in this game and um, you're essentially going around levels levels, collecting these like weird little dudes who are basically pizza ingredients. There's like a little little cheese man, a little tomato man and each of them give you money and you need that money to be able to unlock um, new floors to kind of like reach more levels and progress. There's loads of optional stuff in each level as well, different challenges, that sort of thing. But it's just like, it puts so much power in your hands to master the game. And even if you never get anywhere close to mastering it, you, experience, you, experience, you will experience its greatness... You will be dazzled by it. And I've been on such a journey with this game because I first played it and I found the Nickelodeon sort of theme of it a bit arch and annoying and millennial and smug. And so I actually refunded right. it on Steam. I was so angry, angered by the theme <laughs> and how hard it was. I was like, oh, fucking no, I'm not dealing with this. I'm just going to go play Final Fantasy or whatever. So refunded it. And then I just... Heard just more and more positive things. It has this is the game I mentioned earlier that has like almost no critical reviews, but 44,000 Steam reviews. Like it's a proper sensation this year. And all those people I thought couldn't be wrong, and they are not. This is you stick with it, and it will just dazzle you. What another thing it reminds me of actually is I think in the The economy of it, as in it doesn't have, like, loads and loads of levels that recycle the ideas. It has, like, a finite amount of levels, and then the right amount of ideas to fit in those levels. It reminds me a bit of uh, Gunpoint, where No Mechanic really outstays its welcome, because there is just that, you know, it's edited in the right way. It's just that that precision of, like, we we want this to last for as long as this, and it just works so well. Um, It's just, like... uh, just, it's so demanding, but so exciting, so exhilarating when you're doing well at it, and very frustrating when you feel like you just haven't, like, got your head around completely how all of these different maneuvers work end up you know kind of sliding under things and like bouncing up at levels and sometimes you need to run away from a big monster they just dispatch to chase you at the end of a level and it really fucks you up that's the other interesting thing about this it's a platformer where you can't die but you can fuck up in almost every other conceivable way like you can just be slowed down, you can sort of go down like the wrong path, you can just um you can be the sort of like battered um sort of endlessly and your score go down, and it finds loads of ways to sort of shame you for being rubbish and then when right. you do when you do succeed, it's so so rewarding so I just have to like give it to this game like it's it is pure magic and it's it's kind of perfect on p c like it hasn't been put on consoles, and I don't think they're going to do that and it it has like this almost like cursed flash game energy to it um it's sort of yeah. it always It is was always perfect for pc so is this surprising this has made my list matthew uh
1: a, a little bit well not really in thinking about it in terms of you know i know that the pizza tower momentum has been like building behind the scenes um yet for some reason didn't kind of dive in myself mm. um like I'd heard I'd heard about the kind of oh it's like an indie Wario Land thing, which you know I've, I I like the Wario Land games. I wouldn't say I'm obsessed with them, so it's not something I kind of was like, well, I must play that. You know, like mm. that's absolutely essential for me. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you've you've sold it to me there for sure, and and you know, it sounds absolutely amazing. I was just looking at some little clips of it. I don't think I'd actually seen it in motion, and it's. Yeah, it looks like wild as hell. I love the animation style and um I like the idea that you know, weird divin, Wario kind of would inspire this act of homage. <laughs> and it has it looks like it's suitably demented. You know, it, it yeah. has that that kind of like you say the kind of Nickelodeon cartoon thing. Um yeah, I, I have no idea why this why why this passing by. I'm just too too lazy too conventional. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a perfect Steam Deck game, which is probably yeah. self-evident from looking at it. And the animation really is amazing, like just the amount of like weird shit his face is doing at any one time, like I say a very stressed-looking man. Um and um there is also <laughs> there is actually some like deeper story stuff that people have been doing the old YouTube deep dives on. I want nothing to do with that. I'm just here to to appreciate right. um the great I- the great ideas that drive 2D platforming. I will say actually, in general, if you'd have told me at the start of this year I'd have two TD 2D platformers on in my top five games of the year, I never would have believed you. But that has somehow happened. Like I think I've even said in this podcast that I've experienced all the joys that a 2D platformer can give me and I'm good now, dog. Like, not counting Metroidvania's and that. But, you know, it like it I felt like there was a drop-off at some point of like of like 2D platformers being a, a big concern in the indie space. And then these two, this and Mario between them. I don't. know, I'm just like. It's nice to be proven wrong in such amazing ways and in such different ways as well. So, yeah, Pizza Tower, man. It's um. It's really something. I will say that. So, we come to also
1: your... a very good advert for if you're inspired by a Nintendo game, make your own game rather than a weird fan game that then gets fucking fried by lawyers on the internet want to make, make your own thing which sells more copies than probably Wario Land has
0: actually sold <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's almost certainly true um, yeah that is a but I think that's actually part of its magic as well Is it? it's an homage to something so precise in Nintendo's back catalogue it's not you know when you're looking at like a game that riffs on Link's Awakening you get it straight away but when you're looking at this you're like oh, that's, a, that's a much more precise part of the Nintendo catalogue to sort of um, <laughs> right. zoom in on so i really appreciate that about it but yeah it's very good matthew so uh we come to your number two right
1: yes which is shadow gambit the cursed crew of course of course the final game from from me 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 uh sadly shut their doors this year just after releasing this i think this feels like it was it was a a final roll of the dice for them um well actually i say that i think some of the messaging around their closure actually sounds like like, just the the guys who kind of run it and owned it were like, we're just sort of done. It's not like this is so dire. It's more like, you know, we could enter the whole process of finding work for hire to keep everyone here, but, like, we just can't do that process anymore. Like, we are just too tired and too done. And so, f- fair play to them. I think in their time that they were active, um, they basically renewed this real-time stealth tactics genre perfected it, I would be amazed if anyone ever does as good a job of this ever again Um, you know, we're talking about games like Commandos and Desperados back in the day, kind of updated literally in Desperados 3 this uh, is a standalone game uh, of a new IP that they created about zombie pirates Um, took all the ideas that made um, Shadow Tactics and desperados 3 amazing uh you know these beautiful isometric maps this uh, very ingenious interplay between characters with very set skill sets that are designed to kind of like complement each other the ability to kind of pause the action set up these chain reactions of amazing takedowns using all these different powers really really like sublime stuff i'd say any of these three games is an amazing amazing like sort of 10 out of 10 time for me Um, what they decided to do with the formula in this one was to give you a huge crew of zombie pirates uh, and a lot more kind of freedom in building your team. So in the previous games, they controlled a lot of the challenges by giving you set characters for each mission. Here, you can take all different characters in so you can find all these mad new synergies between them. Um, It maybe makes for like weirdly a slightly easier game than Desperados and Shadow Tactics because they can't like perfectly hone that challenge for this exact character group combination. You know, they have to kind of create these challenges which can be tackled from multiple angles by an infinite variety of teams that you may be bringing in. And because of that, it's maybe a little softer, but it's still as ingenious and as satisfying to play. Um, the powers of them, just, you know, you know, classic kind of tropes, like the sort of spy who can go undercover, a sniper. you got someone who can plant bushes so you can make new cover to break line of sight. Um and uh, i just think the way that they they kind of take take the you know maintain that kind of core magic of their previous games but but kind of grow it out into this this bigger world whether that's with that freedom to pick your team when you go in the ability to approach these more sandbox islands from multiple directions which changes how the levels play out or even in between the missions you go back to your boat you spend time with your crew you do like weird little comic side stories which kind of like tutorialize their powers and introduce the characters at the same time and it, it, it just feels like a more complete game I guess in a similar way to we're talking about like Nintendo with Pikmin and Mario this year it's just like this is a team that's taken the thing they do well and just made sure every bit of it sings and it's as, it's as full and complete an idea as it can be so you know if it's you know this is their last game i think i think they've really gone out on a high with it um but, you know they could be really proud that they they never put a foot wrong and um you know i hope more people discover this moving forward it just didn't feel like it made a huge splash this year um, but it's always going to be there, um, you know. Just, just a fucking great game and very playable on console. I played a lot of this on on um, PS five actually, which you'd normally you'd, you'd think it would be the domain of the mouse and the keyboard, but uh, plays very nicely on a pad.
0: Yeah, I think um, this is the other thing. Actually, I might have been alluding to earlier when I said like what it, how it's been a a bad year for certain types of games, and I think the fact that they can no longer exist, having made this you know like uh, uh, in you know maybe the best game they've made in this particular mold and there's like not space for it in a world where people would probably buy a million copies of XCOM 3 if they released it tomorrow uh, it is mm-hmm. a real bummer that it's like it's adjacent enough surely that more people yeah. would enjoy this if they just played it and found it so it is a real bummer that the studio who you know, who have mastered this type of game just no longer exists. That's actually terrible. That's actually like a travesty. <laughs> really. Um so am um, I'm sorry to hear that. But also, you know, it is it's really cool that this last game has dazzled people. The console thing is probably probably a good th is a good thing to mention to to our listeners mm. who might be curious about trying it and don't want to sit at desktop necessarily to give this a go. Um it is on my list. I own this. I will play it at some point, Matthew, but um yeah, it's uh, one last shout out for Mimi me, me, me on this podcast. Is uh, yeah, it's a uh, grand, uh, grand to have it in your list. So um, mm-hmm. didn't make number one though, which I assume will be uh, Bayonetta Origins, Seratesa, uh, and the Lost Demon. Um, so <laughs> Bingo. I look, Yeah, I look forward to discussing that shortly. Okay, so my number two is Resident Evil Four Remake, which was lower down on your list. So put this super high. So why did I put this so high? It's it's because I think that it was the least necessary remake in the world. We didn't need it. We had Resident Evil 4 on every single platform imaginable, including VR. We didn't need Capcom to remake this. So it really had to prove itself and and be necessary, Um, which was like a a monstrously difficult task. And they did it. And in doing so, I think also made the best third-person action game maybe ever in terms of raw mechanics and I I believe that more and more as I've dipped into the mercenaries mode and just found the mechanics so robust and it's you know it is taking what Resident Evil 4 already did it's taking little bits and pieces of what they learned making uh, Resident Evil 2 um, and 3 remakes and then it's, it's applying those back to the original Resident Evil 4 formula and having this kind of like high octane action approach to survival horror gameplay which is, is still just absolutely magic. And and to modernize that and not lose the germ of what was perfect about it in the first place, while also hitting a lot of the hitting almost all of the same beats from the original game, expanding on some bits. We've talked about the mine um the minecart sequence in this um this game extensively on here, uh, pushes the narrative in some cool ways. The Ashley stuff is much more compelling in this much scarier um it is a little bit spookier than the original game i think i think i'd hand it that um it's nice to be surprised by bits of resident evil 4 that you've forgotten i think this remake does a good job of doing that it it doesn't feel like it's necessarily trying to do exact to achieve all of the same things it knows it has to it has to accomplish certain things but it's also happy to just like chuck in a, a couple of side quests have you on that uh, spend a bit more time on the lake than you maybe did in the original and yeah. and that sort of thing <laughs> it feels like there's um there's not necessarily the same creator's hand at work with it and i i think i i really appreciate that about it because the essence of residue 4 is still here and like i say mm. it's just the gun place is fucking out of this world good um mm. and so i don't mind rewarding it um as highly as i have here thoughts matthew
1: yeah, I, I I love this game. Uh, it's It has been a constant source of bafflement to me to see people going, oh, well, it shouldn't really be nominated for Game of the Year because it's just a remake. And you're like, have you played it? Like, it's not just a remake. I mean, even if it was the case, like, it's still, you know, whatever. Let's not get into the, you know, the, the, the terms and conditions of Game of the Year eligibility. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I think the places they've massaged it and changed it are, are perfectly valid. Um, I think, you know, there are still a few places where it feels feels a little weak, but I'd argue maybe those are the same places. The original didn't quite nail it either. Crucially, at the heart of it is just whatever they do to kind of maintain that that stressful, like, bullet economy, that sense that you've got to make everything count that these things are moving towards you every shot counts maybe it doesn't but there's some like incredible dark resource witchcraft going on to give you the impression that every shot counts uh it's one of the very few games that really nails that tension um it's kind of thrilling to play it's it's kind of thrilling to watch actually i've I've seen a lot of people playing this just in the office this year for various things and every time I, i always i always get into it like you know, if that is just a trick it's taken from the original, then, you know, congratulations, they've done it brilliantly and managed managed to kind of not lose the magic while making it feel relevant and, importantly, shiny for this current generation. Uh, and also really well supported with, like, DLC, which I haven't played yet, and the free VR mode, which is excellent, like Capcom just really going all out to to kind of impress with these things you got
0: gotta hand it to them yeah the uh the dlc's fantastic that's actually the other thing that pushed it slightly further up the list to me mm. is it just it was better than it had to be by you know by miles and miles and and also it was like 7.99 you can just buy this game for like 25 quid now and that's phenomenally generous i think that what was great about this was like when i when i would, I would go in tentatively thinking, "Well is this going to be the same like the the village sequence at the start is probably the best example of this, and then it gets your blood pumping in all of these different ways. It doesn't feel the same, but you remember what it was like when it that for that set piece was fresh to you the first time you played it, and mm. it's become so predictable obviously on replays because I think Resident Evil 4, the original, is a highly replayable game, and most people I know have played it four or five times because it is that good. And, um, and yet it just like it would surprise me. I just remember laughing out loud when I climbed up the ladder to the tower and then the floor gave way, and then I just had to keep fucking yeah. moving, thinking, Oh, I was safe up there, and then I wasn't, and just. Uh, so so good, um, and that would just that would just keep happening. It would just it, you know like the Krauser fight in the way in which it would like weave in the new knife mechanics they added to mm. the game. That's why like you can't say this is just like the same game again because it is a it's a new game built on the bones of Resident Evil Four. I do agree that it's like it's the it's the most interesting case in, in the kind of like argument of do you need to remake games. It is that I, I will I will mm. cop to that. It's not the same. it's not as necessary a remake as Resident Evil 2 was, arguably. But it's just fucking great. Like, and if you love Resident Evil 4, 4, you've played it so many times now that it can no longer dazzle you in the same way. I agree. I think there's a real reason for this to exist in the sense of, like, it's nice to have... Resi4 refreshed for yourself. I have got to play that V at PSVR2 mode. That that looks fucking great. I had so many ads for that when I was in Japan actually, and it just right. looks it looks so so good. I've got to give that a go at some point. It just looks mm. like um there's fucking two VR versions of Resi4 now. That's um yeah. that's amazing. So, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad this is um yeah, I think it I think it deserves to be this high up, but I didn't give it number 1. Maybe that's my one cop to the people of um the people demanding mm. it doesn't have uh, it's not eligible, Matthew. So, we come to your number one, Matthew.
1: My number one, of course, The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Mm. The much celebrated video game adaptation of the best trailer of the year. <laughs> um, that absolutely sublime saxophone music. God damn, I love that trailer. The build up to this game in April, unreal. How many times I watched that thing, that two and a half minute trailer. Oh, a special shout out to that. Yeah, Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, again, kind of... <laughs> kind of like with Super Mario Brothers, Wonder... Where... You know, I struggle to put my finger on... Exactly why that wasn't quite doing it for me. I still find this game... Quite hard to summarise... Uh, and celebrate. I know that when I'm playing it... I'm playing a genuine masterpiece... And one of the greatest games of all time. Uh, a game which has... Easily supplanted... Um, Breath of the Wild... In my estimations. And yet faced with a, a wave of non-believers. <laughs> I do find it kind of kind of difficult to go. Here's the line which kind of sells you on Tears of the Kingdom or summarizes why it's magic. I think that's in part because it goes in so many different directions. On the very base level you have a sequel to Breath of the World doing quite conventional sequel work here are these characters here are these places here's what happened to them down the line things have moved on you get to return to these locations discover how things have changed on a narrative level that's quite exciting i still think that's quite an un un nintendo thing to do they don't tend to dwell on that kind of direct timeline connection in these games you know they always move on to past as new so um just getting to go back to these places and see like you know it's all the Gorons who are basically in the middle of like a fucking opioid crisis what's going on with that (laughs) that's mad and you know you go to this beautiful town and it's all become frosted over and like the music's all chilly and wintry and that's a bit of like a a basic bitch kind of I'm just making my way through this game and enjoying the differences of this place which I have loved and am loving again Obviously, on top of it, there's new areas to discover. Up in the sky, down in the depths, I think both mechanically feel very different. Up in the sky is this world of kind of crazy invention where just the space between things forces you to to really dig into the game's crafting system, use the Ultra Hand to build these devices to basically conquer the skies and move between these disparate elements. Where down in the depths... You know, it's a much more kind of tentative, nervous progress. You know, I don't want to say it's a survival game. Like, I think that's overselling it. There are elements that make it more inhospitable, which I, I find very engaging. I really love, I love both the sky and the depths in the middle. I love the, how the three of them connect. I love how different the three of them feel. But it's interesting. I've seen some people criticise the depths because they say, well oh it's just a lot it's just a big boring space that I spend tens of hours just walking around to kinda of clear it all out and that's never how I approach this game. I think, I think what I love about Tears of the Kingdom more than anything is how totally freeform it is in that it has all these ideas and you're free to kind of engage with them as much or as little as you want. It can be a game where, yes, you go down to the depths and you spend 20 straight hours slogging it out against like giant nasty beasts in the darkness. But it can also be a place which you go down to collect a specific resource because you want to bring it up to the surface to achieve something or you want to take it to the skies and achieve something. And I, I loved that whether I happened to fall into a magic rhythm, I, I loved the rhythm I did find, and I found that this was a game, a, a very rare example of an open-world game, which didn't feel like it was channeling me in any way, and I guess the same for Breath of the Wild, but with so many more things going on, I, I really felt I could kind of pick or choose, and especially with the, the building system, which is normally something I hate in games. I hate crafting. I hate I hate systems which feel like I'm not making the most of them. You know, I feel like a lot of building systems and a lot of, like, user-generated content, it it makes, like, 1% of players feel clever and they get to go on Twitter and show off all the amazing shit they made and everyone else is making, like, dumb monstrosities. And actually, here I found the things I was making kind of followed a logic where I could imagine better things and then they'd happen and they'd work and I just felt constantly good about that so of all the things it does that's probably the gaming hurdle which I didn't think a game would ever get me over which was to really love that kind of experimental mechanical edge i'm not a mechanic i'm not a in real life a mechanical you know an engineering or a machine i'm not interested in machines i haven't got that kind of mind but here it kind of adheres to this cartoon logic which i thought was just so clever the way that it just works you know this isn't like Banjo and Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, we'd build all this shit that just never moved because the game was like, oh, well, it doesn't physically work. This was the thing where it went, I kind of, I kind of get what you're going for. That's, that's the, the Nintendo difference. They're like, I see what you're doing here. You want that wheel to move these things? That'll work. This will always work. And that, to me, is just mind-blowingly clever. The ability to deliver Nintendo's peerless eye for quality control, but to marry it to a system... Which defies authorial control in a way, because it's so sprawling. That's where the whatever seven years went, you know, just making something and make sure it actually works. Yeah, I I, I just thought that was that was incredible. I I think this is like a all timer and it genuinely makes me a little bit sad when people aren't into it as much as I am. <laughs> uh, but that is okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I mean I sort of like I think it's I'm really glad you engaged with that crafting system in the way that you did. And it is good to hear you make the point about how you felt that its elegance enabled you to make things elaborate things that you would never normally bother to make in a game that was more fiddly mm. or where the logic was a little bit more warped. I think that's a, a really nice way to sort of praise what this game does well. It is a vi- absolutely packed with stuff, a very generous game in terms of, um, ideas that kind of like weave in the pre-existing set of Breath of the World sort of mechanics and principles and physics and all that stuff with all of these new abilities they've given you, you know, the ability to rewind time and the ability to ascend through, you know, sort of like solid objects and pop out of the top mm. and um, all these different ways they've given you to interact with the world. I think that's all completely fair. Um, I guess like I suppose this is where I jump in and say the game did leave me <laughs> quite cold and yep. that's not to say I think it's bad um, <laughs> I don't think it's bad at all I think that one area in which I found it like dated or slightly frustrating was the melee combat specifically Like it's or limited, I think that mm-hmm. that's one area where I wish it had moved along a little further, I think it's the fact that you do just have the one swipe and the one dodge and the, you kind of just do the same thing over and over again, and I know that there are obviously the ultra hand allows you to Welds new weapons together but i don't think that quite gives it that, that one area of the game didn't move along enough that i actually sort of started to dread one-on-one encounters with enemies a little bit because i mm-hmm. wish that had just a tiny bit more sophistication to it um but it is kind of countered by the fact that the ranged combat is made so exciting by the way you can attach items to arrows and experiment with the different ways in which that'll mess with enemies and all of the things they've done with the game that the layers they've built on top of Breath of the Wild make total sense in terms of bringing more out of it um and i definitely like will praise the game for that even if i don't think the 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 crafting i didn't find it i think just found the interface of it a little bit more fiddly a little bit more clunky um but the thing is i just didn't fall in love with it because i think that like it, the the one thing you just have to acclimatize to is the fact that it's not about discovery in the same way that breath of the world is about discovery that's a game about discovering a map for the first time this is a game about discovering what you can do within a within a world you already know and it yeah, maybe it, it, it sorry John. um
1: no no i was gonna say that's 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 uh, abs, abs, yeah that is absolutely what it is yeah you know it, it can't be the first thing
0: no no it can't and that you know that does require more imagination from the player than breath of the world does where that discovery is very it's very surface level you can you can see it straight away it's you know it's the first time you've done any of the, the first time you've climbed something and seen that little circle ticking down as links like running out of stamina mm. it's the first time you've gone up into the mountains and you've experienced what it's like where the temperature drops and you suddenly have to wear the old warm doublet to um you know to to survive up there or light a fire and all of that stuff is is here but then like the 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 Eureka moments, yeah, they they do come from things that you that you have to drive as a player, and so that it it trusts you to go along with it in that way. And I think that's, I guess I can admit that I have a you know a gap there where I don't have the imagination or the patience to truly get that out of it in the way that you have. um But that's not to say I think it's bad. It just it just didn't I just didn't love it, and that's that's. And I, but I totally, I, but I don't mind seeing it on Game of the Year list. It's not one where it's, <laughs> well, that's it's not. Good. It's like, I, this isn't this isn't the. Uh, I know, I
1: know. People have been anticipating the great uh, Robert's Castle uh, <laughs> rift um, coming out of this. But I, I think everything you've ever said is absolutely fair. Right. You know, even when we did the original episode, I think it's it's an, it's an incredibly risky move from Nintendo in that they've they've given you something kind of so open and free form they kind of give you all the rope to like hang yourself and have a bad time (laughs) definitely yeah and and that if that happens then that happens and so be it but they're also therein lies the same potential for you to really feel like you've discovered something you've never seen or experienced before Mm. i found that to be genuinely like mechanically profound in places i can't believe this thing worked and look what i'm doing now and look what i've achieved but I know that comes from the same place as The Frustrations. It's a distinctly un-Nintendo game that they've made in in that regard. You know, it's it's incredibly experimental. Um, mm. You know, narratively experimental. You can miss the story. You can play the story out of order. You can get to places way before you're meant to get to them. You could accidentally find the thing, which is the narrative payoff to something else. You know, it's it's everything nintendo games aren't really meant to be the perfect handcrafted worlds and this is you know one of the first times i've just sensed nintendo just remove that hand entirely and go we've done our best to try and make everything here work we've left this in the best possible state we can that we hope you're going to have fun in it we hope you're going to enjoy it and let's see what happens and its prominence on game of the year lists speaks to people who did gel with it but at the same time it's you know it's valid it's it's perfectly valid I'm not I'm not
0: annoyed Sam I'm just disappointed <laughs> <laughs> well, The first thing, when that episode we did I was just like I, I think I, it was just a raw shock of the fact that I didn't love it it was like a little bit of mourning of oh I really thought this was like an absolute shoo-in for me and then the fact that I just couldn't I just felt like I spent uh, ages <laughs> in those floating islands and then when I got down to the world I just didn't have any sense of like oh wow look at it I just had a sense of oh I've been here before. And yeah. then it was like I- uh, uh, yeah. Um but and then I think over time though it subsided a little bit and it's more like there's a few other things I've tried to keep in mind. So circum in terms of circumstances r- this game releasing this year with all the all the other stuff releasing around the same <laughs> right. time is like a different world to 2017 where I felt like this was the only game in town for a 3 months. I mean, I wasn't a big horizon yeah. guy, so this was, Breath of the Wild was just, just took over my life and it was, it, and this year it's harder to let one game do that because there's so much going on. That's a yeah. factor I don't count against I, the game.
1: I, like, and I also appreciate that if like, if anyone is gonna give this game the chance to succeed, it is me. I know that, yeah. you know, I, I went in and I wanted this to be amazing and I gave I gave it every opportunity to amaze me In the same way that I did not approach Starfield in that way I did not put in the hours to make sure st- To see if the things there would eventually click I-, I don't think they will I'm not saying I think there's a Tears of the Kingdom quality game Hiding away in Starfield uh, <laughs> that, that, isn't, that isn't the point But like, if any game gets the, gets the fairest of shots It is going to be the new Zelda or Mario from me Yeah And I I do appreciate that. So I I don't want people to think that like you know I'm blind to you know I'm I'm speaking about someone who's played you know 150 hours of this thing. Where I'm at with the game now is completely different to where I
0: may may have been with it originally or along that journey or whatever. Yeah, and that's not to say that I just haven't I've been cold on all of it because it's frequently impressive. I love the ways in which sometimes. A like quote for the box. Well, no, no, <laughs> frequently <laughs> impressive. Well, I think it's just that, like, I, I think the the thing I, I have to snap out of is the thing you were talking about earlier—the idea of like not getting too bogged down, and having to tick off everything. And I think that is where you can bum yourself out with this game if you feel like you need to go after every korok, um, or you need to mm. you need to lift up every sign that 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 jeb ends going around with like just you know stuff that is optional <laughs> you can just like skip it and then you can focus on the things you actually care about which is how i play breath of the Wild. i need to recalibrate my brain to that this is how i played it i didn't do everything i just i just kept chasing the horizon and doing like whatever i thought was cool on the horizon so that's that's how i enjoy i enjoyed that game and that's how i i'm i need to like um you know i will play more of this and i I will see through the the main quest and i will get there but yeah it just um it's sort of like the other thing i try and keep in mind is that i remember when i was on x360 2009 i remember complaining about how conservative i found mario and zelda at that time um right like not mario galaxy but new super mario bros and twilight princess i just thought why don't these things ever really move along? Because the, the the whole narrative of Twilight Princess was people talking about how it went back to what they liked from Ocarina of Time, and I think mm. at that time I thought of Nintendo as being very creatively conservative. And when they're making this, it completely defies, you know that that impression I had. Like completely, like chucks it out as a like a as an observation. And I I really respect the fact that they have done that. Yeah, it's gosh i haven't given up on it but it just didn't i just didn't fall in love with it but i'm glad that you did um yeah yeah well, that's yeah that's
1: okay i hope i like listen that was that was a, a, a sprawling mess of a justification <laughs> like i said i still haven't got this one down one day i'll 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 speak like t- 20 seconds of beautiful words about tears of the kingdom that will move everyone
0: greatly Um, today isn't that day (laughs) I think Simon Parkins words about this game are the best I've read about it like he's sort of like Bald. I can't remember where his review was. Now was it the New Yorker? The New
1: Yorker, yeah. Yeah,
0: that was the best piece of writing. I've, that's the piece of writing that's like stayed with me of um, mm. about about what this game does well. Um, so yes, while well, I have been a little dick about it on Discord, Matthew, um, winding probably winding you up um, for no real reason. Um, I, yeah, the, what I say is sincere. So I hope you take it as <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. um, Okay, great. I was that's your number one. Tears the kingdom is your number one. So my number one. Gosh, I wrestled over this um my number one is star wars jedi survivor so this is as as close to a complete package for an original blockbuster game as we got this year i think it's a great main quest that respects your time it feels like a linear game when it wants to have that naughty dog style forward momentum and narrative and give you those big amazing set pieces yet it feels like an open world game when you want to dip into the very good side stuff and and see what's out there and explore um, which is an amazing balancing act. It's I, th- I really think that as a Star Wars game, it's like as as good as it's going to get in the modern age. It's got a a main character and a supporting cast who you are uh, a bit like Spider Man too. I think where the writing is good enough that you're tuned into what they're saying. You're not frustrated by spending time in their company. You're not skipping cutscenes for the sake of it. And combat wise, it's it's a massive step along from Jedi Fallen Order it still has the kind of like uh, sort of like Dark Souls style progression at its core and like a little bit of the sort of like Zedlock kind of like combat approach as well but it's a really strong version of lightsaber combat that this has the addition of like new stances which really mix up the game in some exciting ways my favorite being the blaster stance blaster in one hand lightsaber in another as i said on a previous episode let's just fucking do luke skywalker and han solo at the same time i love that <laughs> shit that's really good Um, Really fun to experiment with those. I think like my my two areas where I have notes is not all of the bosses are up to scratch in terms of balancing and I found myself screaming at the last boss and let's say an encounter with a key Star Wars figure um, which is a similar beat to what they do in the first game. But I um, I found it quite frustrating here, unfortunately. I also thought the story was a touch worse than the previous one um, in terms of, like, uh, I think the first game did a really good job about uh, of dealing with the idea of, like, all these characters who had raw trauma and hadn't processed it, but were trying to do so in this kind of, like, uh, doomed, kind of, like, empire-controlled galaxy where they they no longer felt like they had a place i just really like that idea and this game though i think um does a good job of pushing the cow character along a little bit and i do think it has a couple of absolutely killer twists um really really good mm. that took me um completely off guard and yeah some 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 great spectacular levels and surprisingly good platforming as well it's a blockbuster that doesn't play itself it asks you to to master it and yeah, yeah, i really yeah. appreciate that um and yeah it's i really think it's like yeah it's really close to a 9 for me and i think like it's a little bit of heart picking here but i think objectively as well it just like i just see I see the thinking behind all the decisions. I see what led them to this, and it just feels like I'm totally on the same page as them in terms of, mm. here's what a blockbuster should be. It shouldn't speak down to the player. It should respect their time. But if you want to stay in this a lot a lot longer, we'll give you some great ways to do that. I just see all the great decisions that led to this game being as good as it is. Um, and so it's a mm. shame that the um, the performance stuff kidnapped the narrative of Ugh. this game, Matthew, because this is really up there like as this is like a console exclusive level blockbuster um from you know from ea and respawn and so mm. well fucking done i hope they get to make a third one thoughts matthew
1: yeah i i absolutely love this game i it was lower on my list but it you know it you know i'm not as big as star wars head i i, I really I, you know i i thought it it sold me on all the big star wars fantasies like the different planets you go to like the the variety of them and the amazing vistas and like the surprising amount of space covered in this game like a lot of these levels are a lot bigger than they end up being um which supports some like pretty great metroidy style backtracking with new abilities to get to new places and it, the levels just keep opening up and there's always something interesting if it's a special boss fight or you know some new power or whatever going on behind it i've, I've really well judged um i think you can tell that uh you know this has got stig asmussen who obviously made uh back favorite god of war 3 and this my guy. Has, <laughs> yeah but it has it has like similar eye for like great set pieces and great scale of like let's pull the camera back and you'll see like a giant crash spaceship and it'll look like the raddest thing ever um there's just loads of it as well and it, it like brilliantly paced yeah great powers that thing you said about like you really play it all. None of it's automated. None of it feels like it's just there to like mask loading. It, you know, it feels like I'm having to engage with like wall running and gymnastics. It's got a bit of that Titanfall DNA in there too. Um, yeah, it's really class act. It's funny you said you didn't like the fight against the iconic character. Hmm. Um, maybe I don't remember the fight itself. I remember it being fucking difficult. Yeah, but I, I, that set piece is great. Oh yeah, as a as a whole, because you're like. You know, you know because of where it falls, like certain things can and can't happen. But in the moment, you're like, "Oh shit, I'm doing this." <laughs> yeah, and I really loved that. I thought that was great. That was a, a, a real highlight this year.
0: Yeah, especially as a character who I uh, let's just say that character has some squandered potential elsewhere in Star Wars. Yeah. Also, I think this was quite a particularly bad year for Star Wars stuff. Like the right. Mandalorian was all over the place. Um, Ahsoka, I thought was terrible. Apart from that, Clone Wars flashback episode was actually really good, but the rest of it was terrible. So, um, I I think I've been um, I I think that has compounded my sort of frustration with Star Wars this year. So so the fact that like a game, this game is sort of the standout is actually like you know really speaks to how how amazing that team is. Um, Yeah, just yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful, generous game. And I don't know if they have solved all of the performance issues, but if that's the reason that it stopped people from checking it out. That would be a fucking shame um, because it's yeah. just so, so good. This is like, this is what you want from blockbusters. This is like, this is EA making the stuff that I, people say EA doesn't make, you know, um, mm. it's happening. So yeah, uh, gosh, it it really was great. And I will go back and tick off some of the other side's stuff at some point. But um, even if like they, they don't always make Star Wars, as long as the, the ethos behind this game gets to continue in some other games like I will always be excited for what this team at Respawn does because man it's just it's great to have like third person combat that is this intricate but also is not trying to just be Dark Souls you know like it's it's something it's something that meets you meets you in the middle um yeah just really hit the spot for me so a worthy number one um in a year where it was very difficult to call what number one it would be so um yes uh matthew it was a pleasure it was um we forgot how to do podcasting in that first hour there got a little bit shaky Uh, but second and third hours i think we really sort of remembered (laughs) uh so that's good um okay i guess like some quick honourable mentions, Matthew, to see us out. I don't have many, to be honest. I have. I got. I got a couple. I wanted to shout out. Yeah, why don't you tell us what was in your sort of pool of other stuff? Yeah, uh, VideoVerse. Oh, of course, Lucy's game.
1: Um, the absolutely sort of fantastic love letter to online communities, but like specifically the online gaming community of like MeVerse, VideoVerse seems to riff on this. This was made by guests of the podcast, uh, Lucy Bundle, but uh i just found it so rich like the 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 how complete that online world felt you can go into all the different like sub forums and and read all these little like arguments the, the way she kind of captures the character of all these hundreds of like anonymous users and creates this sort of fictional gaming universe that they're all obsessed with um it's 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 so complete a thing. It's if if you were a big me meverse head, it's like absolutely essential. Very 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 almost made my my list. I was jostling between that and Let's Revolution for number ten, but I had to give it a shout out. Cause it's amazing. Um, yeah. Um, so
0: what Lucy, what Matthew was saying, Lucy, is you should have put some Minesweeper in your game, and it would have made it Matthew's <laughs> top ten. So that's. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, Lucy. Forgive me. Um, uh, I also really
1: liked uh, Chance of Sinar um Mm. which is like the weird language deciphering game uh where you kind of yeah learn a kind of i don't know symbol based language of these of these various cultures as you climb up this puzzling tower it's a little bit like heaven's vault but less intensive um it's not i want to say heaven's vault for dummies but it's sort of that um (laughs) but but that suited this dummy perfectly fine (laughs) Um, <laughs> loads, of, also, loads
0: of game of the year list that one
1: yeah uh so you know it's it's fun I, I also uh i wanted to shout out again fire emblem engage which mechanically i, I just think is top tier fire emblem incredibly satisfying creating these mad warrior builds that pull off these superhuman feats this very almost made my list also i felt like if I put this on my list, but not Mario Wonder, people would kill me for some reason. <laughs> um, I don't know why I feel that,
0: but I did feel that. So I chickened out and put it in honourable mentions. <laughs> That's fair. Those are, those are your, your games, aren't those,
1: you? are those are my honorables.
0: Yeah, so I've got a few. Like I, um, I suppose like a uh, guest of the podcast, like Jay's Game Cassette Beast, I thought was a really accomplished Pokemon alike. And I, I didn't finish it, which is um, why it wasn't in contention um and uh yeah but um a really cool game and i'm glad that I found an audience this year uh like i say starfield if i'd had more time starfield would have been in the top 10 um just didn't have t- enough time before i between going to japan and then going to my parents for christmas i just didn't have um enough time to to sink into it unfortunately um, but we'll keep uh, pursuing that one. I think um,
1: Starfield over Zelda would have would have made me go full Joker.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I did. I,
1: so I'm glad I'm glad that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, I suppose I should say that Tears of the Kingdom was not like completely ruled out. Like I did wait, right. but similarly, I, I didn't. If I'd have finished it, I could at least like say where it belonged in my list. Like I, I was a bit yeah. too obsessed with finishing things for this this list this yeah, year. That's all right. Um, I think like I really appreciate the um, uh, Sea of Stars and how it kind of like. Uh, you know sort of like revives those sort of um snares era rpg jrpg principles while giving a fresh coat of paint to some of the different elements i don't think it's like successful in all areas but it certainly captured people's imaginations and i think it Mm. it deserved to um so that's a that's a good one um Matthew, I'm really curious. Actually, I will say, actually, Fire Emblem and Gage, I agree with you. I thought that was a really strong uh, kick-off point at the start of the year. Like, it's easy to forget January games, but that was a really nice mm. um, treat when that came along. Um, Alan Wake 2, Matthew, that didn't make your list, but I see you finished it after?
1: Uh, I actually haven't quite finished it yet. Mm.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm in the final stretch. It's so
1: long. Um, uh, I... I think there's a lot of heart in it, but I think it, it might all be total nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that's, yeah. The spiciest take It's not a no from for me, last. dog. I, I'm not going to say it's a <laughs> no from me, dog, but it's like, a, a, I don't quite get it.
0: Right. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. And um, last of all, again, another one I didn't finish, but I really like what I played of it this year, Amnesia the Bunker. Which um, again, like uh, I think, I, I wish I'd played that so I could I could have another horror game in my list alongside My House. But mm. um, alas, so those are my horror. With the legends. motor that goes. <laughs> I listened back to that bit of the podcast, and uh, I just sound like a performing chimpanzee when you're getting me to do that (laughs) stuff. Um, It's the only example of you bullying me that exists on audio form, Matthew. So, uh, um, no armored core six fires of Rubicon in the Royal (laughs) Branch. No, No. (laughs) I hated that game. (laughs) And uh, yeah, again, apologies, I didn't get to Dead Space Remake this year. And um, that just didn't happen. I didn't have enough time. Um, and oh, uh, yeah,
1: I've I've played thirty minutes of Mario RPG. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: is it good? A uh, Christmas game. Uh, both it, got
1: it it's end. it's it's one of those weird Switch games that looks way better in the flesh than it does in trailers. Oh right, okay, <laughs> that is odd. Okay, I will. That happens a lot. It's Switch games. When I see it on that OLED screen, I'm like, oh yeah, this is pretty. It's pretty handsome. And the music, the orchestrations of the old Shimamura tracks, are like chef's kiss. We lovely can, stuff.
0: We can give that a, yeah a bit of a, the old plinky plonky from um uh, Shimamura. Um, very much like the Jules Holland of video game composers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst thing I could possibly have said. I don't know why I said that. I take it back <laughs> instantly. God. Um this podcast has been going on for too long. Matthew, we're done. So, listeners out there if you enjoyed this episode, you like what we do, you want to unlock two extra podcasts a month. Patreon.com/backpagepod is reopened for pledges. So, um thanks so much for all the people who didn't cancel in that um in that month off we had there Hopefully you um uh, understand why we needed a little break. Um so uh hopefully that's okay. And uh yes, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Matthew, it's been a pleasure. Where can people get you on social media? (laughs) Mr. Basil underscore pesto on
1: Twitter, X, Mr. Basil Pesto on Blue Sky No
0: underscore. (laughs) Brilliant. Uh, Matthew is a prolific blue sky user as previously established. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on both. The podcast is Backpage Pod. If you want to email us, backpagegames at gmail.com. That's us done, Matthew. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.